1: I'm gonna
0: break your heart with it. Nobody puts baby. Whatever you want.
1: Welcome back to Movies for Life. I'm one of your co-hosts, Michelle Egan
2: And I'm your other co-host, Brian Kuiper.
1: And we are back with probably one of my favorite types of episodes to do. These are our favorite movies that came out in 2022.
2: Yeah. So uh, we haven't done one of these before. Isn't that crazy? We've only done Discoveries before. Yeah. Some of them have come out in the year that we recorded them, but we decided... Hey, we've seen enough this year. We can do our favorites from this year alone. Why not? I didn't think I had seen enough,
1: but when I went to go make my list, I was like, "Uh, actually, I've seen a lot of movies that came out this year. I'm usually pretty bad about catching up on new movies, but yeah, me too. pretty dang good. So we st- we're going to start out, we were going to do just five, and then it was like, "Uh, I could actually do a 10. So these are going to be our top 10 favorite movies of this year.
2: I'm glad we did that, too, because I had a hard enough time narrowing it down to 10, to be honest. And what's funny, okay, neither of us are film critics. We don't get screener access. We haven't seen all the movies that came out this year. So these are just the ones that we saw that we had the most fun with. I, I mean, I hesitate to even call them the best of 2022. No. Because... They're Just like my favorites, yeah. These are just the ones that are our favorites and RR. That was fun, anyway. RR. Um, so I have a, speaking of which, I did not see RRR, triple or R, or whatever <laughs> I didn't <called>. either. <laughs> I right? and I, that's supposed to be a great one. I didn't see Ambulance mm. either, which a lot of people really like because you know what? I don't like I, Michael I, Bay, I just can't stand <laughs> that guy, uh, at all. So, however. I'm probably going to have to give that movie a try because I hear it's good. But...
1: I, I started it a couple times and I didn't quite make it. Yeah, okay. there's a bunch of movies that I haven't gotten to see yet that I think maybe would probably be on the list, but I mean, time is up now. Yeah, so. <laughs> and
2: and I know I'm going to get canceled because I didn't include Top Gun Maverick on my list. Uh, that's like a big deal. <laughs> I didn't even see that. There's this. I saw it twice, okay? I really liked that movie. I thought it's really good, but it was like, it's not on my list. Nope. And what's funny is, I I say that because A.O. Scott, the film critic for the New York Times, put out his top 10 list, and he got reamed in a viral tweet for not having Top Gun Maverick on his list. He had, he had two films that I had even heard of, uh, Nope and Tar, and I've seen one of those. Uh, I haven't seen Tar. I'm dying to see Tar. But I thought that, It was like, oh, wow, that's eight movies I've never heard of that a critic put on their top 10 list. A critic that I actually I generally respect put on their top 10 list. They're probably worth seeking out. Whereas these other people were like, oh, I haven't heard of these movies. So they suck. So we're not going there, folks. We are going to have fun. We're going to talk about movies that we loved this year uh, that are our favorites, uh, our opinions. They're not
1: our personal favorites.
2: Yeah, so we're instigating a couple of rules here, or one at yes. least. And th- I'm not the first one to say, call it this, but um, the Bromley rule, uh, named after Patrick Bromley of the F This Movie podcast, that if one of our picks is higher on the other's list, we wait to talk about it until we get to the higher spot. Okay, that's the yep. main rule. The other rule is there are no rules. Ooh. Ooh. Okay, nice. no, anyway.
1: Yeah. So how did your list kind of work out? My top five, mm-hmm. it was, those were pretty easy to pick out, but it was, yep. it was that bottom five that's always a little bit difficult. I kept yeah, changing around. It
2: did. But
1: I think it's pretty good now.
2: My top...
1: I think, I hope. I'm done. It's time. Time's up.
2: <laughs> My top two haven't changed since I saw the movies in April. <laughs> so they have they have not changed at all. There you go. My next couple did, two or three or four, Uh, are actually ones I've watched just within the past month or less. Two
1: of mine are movies that I watched this week.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing. So... Well, and that that always happens. You know, the best movies tend to sort of get loaded into the end of the year a lot of times, um, which maybe there's something to the whole recency bias thing of it all too but i t- really I try think we, to think that through yeah. <laughs> and not let that happen though but
1: yeah with those two they're my they're my number 10 and 9 so they're the lowest on the list maybe because of just recency but uh, i don't know i just really want to talk about them cuz i did really enjoy them yeah i was trying not to let that affect. i was like oh is it can i not put it on there cuz i watched it? that doesn't really matter it came out this year and i just now saw them so It's okay. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Whenever you saw them, it's okay. Yeah.
2: Yeah. All right. So are we uh, ready to jump in? Let's do it. Okay. Let's shoot this fucker. Let's shoot this fucker. Who's going first? You? You go first. You're more prepared than me. You took notes and stuff. (laughs) I'm making this all up as I go along. I'm perfect. Call me Indiana Jones. I'm making this up as I go. (laughs)
1: All right. Okay, I'm going to cut that out. Why? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so my number 10, like I said, number 10 and 9 are ones I just saw this week, but they're really interesting, and I I really wanted to mention them and talk about them. Number 10 is a movie called Vengeance.
2: I have a story. Okay. I'm in West Texas,
1: where this family just lost their daughter to an opiate overdose. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. It's okay, it's not someone I was close to. But you flew to Texas for it? Uh... Yes, uh, it was a girl I hooked up with a few times. Her family thought that we were more serious than I did. I've heard so much about you. I've, I've heard,
0: yeah. Abilene just didn't die. She was murdered. What?
1: The two of us, we want to avenge her death.
2: So as like a personal boundary, I don't avenge deaths. But here's what I can do. I'm going to record
1: everything that you think happened to Abilene. And we'll put it on a podcast and
2: we'll see where it leads.
1: What evidence does he have that it was a murder?
2: Nothing. And that's the story. Okay, I have that not seen this one.
1: It's been on my uh, prime queue for a while now. and I finally watched it and it really, really surprised me with um, how good it was. So it was written and directed and stars B.J. Novak. Who? Oh, yeah. Okay, I
2: have heard of this. Yes, I wanted to see this one quite a bit. From The Office. I love The Office. Which I've never watched, but I've seen
1: that he's funny Uh, on that.
2: Yeah, I meant to see this one, yeah.
1: I think you'd really like it. So he stars as a guy named um, Ben Manilowitz. He's a journalist in New York, and he wants to start a podcast or whatever, and he has all these big ideas about telling the quote unquote, the story of America, you know, Uh, but the opening scene is him at a party with his friend. And you kind of get the idea that he's a bit of a self centered in his own bubble kind of douchebag. You know, Mm -hmm. they're talking about, you know, trying to find women to hook up with for the evening. And he's got all these women saved in his phone as like, their name and, you know, wherever he met them. is like, I'm not really sure who that is. It's like Alicia office party or something. But then one night he gets a call that one of his hookups that he doesn't even remember, really. He has to look her up, like, on Facebook or whatever. Uh, He gets a call from a family member, her brother, that she has died of a drug overdose. He barely remembers her, but her family thinks that um, he's her boyfriend. Right. So through the conversation, he kind of gets roped into like going to her funeral in Texas. But he's kind of thinking in the back of his mind that this could be his story that he's going to tell. The story of this, you know, young woman that died you know, for his podcast. So he flies out to Texas for her funeral, um, meets her family. They're all characters and I love them. Her brother, Ty, and then her sisters. Okay. Her name is uh, Abby Shaw which is short for Abilene. And her sisters are Paris and Kansas City. Okay. Also known as Casey. <laughs> So, uh, But it's kind of funny because it starts out as very much like a, a comedy, um, kind of a dark comedy at the same time. And it brings in like all those you know, as he gets to know people and hang around uh, um, in the town, you know, it brings up all those tropes about Texas and the the people that live there and what they're like and what life is like there. But it's the story kind of takes a turn whenever her brother Ty mentions to him that he thinks that she did not just die of a dr- drug overdose, that she was murdered. And that's when uh, Ben gets the idea that he's going to do this whole like podcast series kind of like. Oh, what's that one? Like this American life where it's like a series where they tell a story. And there's definitely a comment on like true crime stuff because the initial title that they go with, there's um, scenes of him, you know, talking back and forth. He has a producer for his podcast, like back in New York that he talks with. I was like, that must be nice. Right. (laughs) That he just sends the stuff to and they edit it and everything. Oh, that sounds great. But the initial title that they come up with is dead white girl. (laughs)
2: <laughs> for it because
1: obviously that's a story that people are going to want to know so the thing is that he's going to hang around in Texas for a few weeks and kind of investigate I guess her supposed murder and you know do the series on it interview her family and they're all into it and like I said they're all characters they're hilarious and it does bring up those tropes but as like the story kind of goes on it's like the people are a little bit more than you know what they appear on the surface which is kind of nice and um, one of the jokes, which I just definitely related to, because they live in a really, really super small town in Texas. And Ty, her brother, says uh, something at one point like, this place is a shithole and it sucks, but I'll never leave. And just like, without missing a beat, Ben says... Yeah, that's how I feel about Twitter. And that, just, <laughs> <laughs> that just made me laugh so much. Yeah. But in the, the movie is kind of, I, I don't know if this might annoy some people, but for some reason, it like, it really got to me because a lot of it is like with him talking to like all these different people and interviewing them. It's a lot of people saying stuff that like should be stitched on a pillow, you know, like everything they say is like philosophizing about life and what it's like living in modern times. But I don't know, like... Kind of the place that I'm in now in my life and I'm just kind of reevaluating things and how I look at the world and interact with it, like the stuff really got to me. A lot of the the observations and the realizations that the main character Ben comes to or stuff that I've been thinking about uh, lately too. It's very funny. And like I said, it's dark comedy and it starts out as mostly a comedy. But the interesting thing is kind of where the story goes by the end is very different. Very unexpected. Very, very much recommend this movie. I liked it a lot. Also, yeah, this, Ashton Kutcher has a very yeah, interesting role. Yeah, I heard I heard Kutcher <laughs> gives a
2: really great performance. He is, yeah. This is one that was on my radar to see and I, I missed it, unfortunately, because, you know, I, I think B.J. Novak, not only did he star on The Office, he was one of the key writers of The Office, the, the American yeah. version, of course. I don't know. I think he's really sharp, really funny. Uh, and and so I really was curious about this one. And I think a movie that takes on, you know, some of these sort of current trends, you know, like true crime, like social media, and looks at them with that satirical lens is kind of totally my thing, right now kind
1: of his mind now too, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> i mean that's just the I, I love things that sort of skewer that and so yeah this was one that i definitely i think yeah wanna, i think you'll find out. this
1: one interesting then
2: cool okay my number 10 is the most nicholas cage movie ever uh the unbearable <laughs> weight of this massive almost, talent ugh.
1: That is when I had to bump off. Yeah. (laughs) But yes. I was. Awesome movie. Love that.
2: Fighting for what was going to be my number 10. And I'll mention what I knocked out uh, when we do our honorable mentions at the end here. Okay. So this has the best bromance of the year. I know. (laughs) Nick Cage played by Nicolas Cage. You know, clever. He is kind of down on his luck uh, as a actor he's uh doing a lot of straight to f- okay so there's a fair amount of meta stuff going on here as you could probably tell uh so he agrees to a million dollar offer to attend the birthday party of javi uh, played by pedro pascal and what i love is it's it's not really what it seems you know there's this is yeah. he this drug mafia kingpin guy or not uh, i like all that Uh, I think Neil Patrick Harris as his agent is pretty hilarious. He's recruited by the CIA to kind of be an operative to (laughs) case the joint for this guy. It's just, I don't know, this private island thing and all that stuff is so much fun. And like I said, the bromance between Javi and Nick is so sweet, really, and funny. And it has this nice sort of... Father daughter thing going on, and it, it mm-hmm. you know, sort of backs off into this uh, meta territory from time to time without being overly heavy handed about it. It's really funny, it's sweet, and it's just a lot of fun to watch. That's what it comes down to. Um, that was the thing with me. I know this movie, it kind of came out in the early stages of the year where people were still if it wasn't a superhero movie, it seemed, uh, were pretty reluctant to come to theaters still. And so it didn't have huge crowds, but honestly, this should have been... Nicolas Cage's biggest hit since the days of, I don't know, Gone in 60 Seconds and Con Air or whatever. Because it's that. Rock. Yeah, it's kind of that kind of movie, but it sort of is spoofing that kind of movie too. And so I I like that a lot. I just had a good time. And I love, you know, sort of the de-aging thing they did where a young Nick Cage is Mm -hmm. this sort of pompous asshole. (laughs) I love that. Sort of like his inner child. I love that. Nicolas Cage has gotten to a point where he can look back on some sort of his pretensions as a young actor and make fun of them a little bit, uh, because there's no doubt he had that. Uh, But, I mean, it also produced some of the great performances of that era, too. So, um, anyway, it's a lot of fun. Really had a blast with it. Good time.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, this one, it was hard to leave that one off the list because it was one of my most enjoyable times I had watching a movie this year. Yeah, Pretty much, yeah, because of the bromance. (laughs) Just, like, watching them, like, talk by the pool Mm -hmm. or... I don't know. They are just so freaking cute together, um, Javi and Nick. (laughs) And
2: And there's, like, this... um, I love his, you know, his his shrine to all things Nick Cage. And there's... (laughs) The wax the figure <laughs> with the golden guns from Face Off and stuff—it's like, love it. It's like it's grotesque. I'll give you twenty five thousand for it. <laughs> or, <you> know, <laughs> and stuff. I liked
1: that it was a lot more than what it seemed like it would be. Yeah, like when I heard about what it was about and saw a trailer, like I thought it would be a lot more references to his older movies and him being a little bit funnier or having i mean he is but i just thought it would be a little bit more referential and meta that way but it comes up with this whole new story too that i really like
2: and that is kind of genuinely sweet ultimately yeah and sort of emotionally affecting in a surprising way so
1: it's not just one joke through the whole movie right you know what i mean
2: right which i liked which is ultimately why i chose this one probably over the other one i picked because it is kind of one joke But it's a damn good joke. Okay. But I'll tell you what that one is at the end.
1: Okay. Love that. Good choice. Yeah.
2: Number nine.
1: Okay. Number nine is another movie I just watched this week. I just found it this week as I was searching again in one of my queues for movies that came out this year. And I mean, when I read the plot synopsis, I had to watch it immediately because one of my favorite things in the entire world is like murder mystery comedies yep. so i knew that i would love see how they run see how they run <laughs> yep i have seen this one good like i said this is pretty much just everything that i love in movies and everything that like brings me joy uh so this takes place in 1950s london I mean, when you think about murder mystery comedies or just murder mysteries in general, you think about like, oh, I want like an Agatha Christie type thing. And this actually has, you know, (laughs) they're putting on a play that is done by Agatha Agatha Christie, The Mousetrap, and Agatha Christie eventually does appear as a character in the movie. So this was absolutely perfect. So like I said, they're putting on a play of her story, The Mousetrap. It is in its 100th performance this time and uh, leo Kopernick, played by adrian brody is a film director from america who's going to be doing a film adaptation of this uh he was hired by the producer john wolf and i like how it starts it starts with I, him, I like him how as this... the narration i think that yeah. is
2: really <laughs> really funny Especially (laughs) because where it goes at the end of the scene, I don't know if I want to spoil that, but no, no, I don't want to spoil either. Uh, But I mean, it's just it's just like the the funniest way to set it up and to just sort of pull the rug. I I, I love that because great
1: because it's a comedy. It's also like commenting on like these murder mm-hmm. mysteries and how they usually play out. And I don't care if murder mysteries like always play out exactly the same way. Right. That's exactly what I want to see. And that's kind of what this is commenting on too. In, the, in a way, like it does the same thing over and over again, but people still love it because it's, I don't know, because it's great. So we have Sam Rockwell as the, um, the typical like grizzly. Uh, what is he? He's the inspector, inspector, yeah. Stafford. Inspector? Constable? Commissioner? Mm -hmm. (laughs) That made me laugh every time. I loved it. And Sierra Ronan is Constable Stalker. She's like one of those eager, like, go-getter type of constables who wants to, you know, be really good at her job and learn from from this guy. It's a period piece, and it's funny, and it's one of those uh, things where it's got a colorful cast of characters, shall we say, who are a colorful cast of suspects... Of people, you know, that are working on the play that they have to um, interrogate. I mean, we got Ruth Wilson. Um, I love her. Harris Dickinson as Richard Attenborough is pretty great. <laughs> yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Which I also watched him. He's also in two other movies that I watched this year. He was in um, Triangle of Sadness and Where the Crawdads Sing. So saw him in three different movies this year. I liked Reese Shearsmith as John Wolfe. I mean, these are some. a lot of these actors are ones I don't know a whole lot Or I know them by face But not by name Especially the, like the guy Who plays John Wolf Reese Shearsmith So now I know his name This is just my kind of humor I, I was genuinely laughing Like so much At somebody It's like that dry Quick wit That mm-hmm. I absolutely love And especially when it's delivered The way that these actors deliver One of my favorite moments Was uh, between Sam Rockwell And Sarah Ronan Where you know she, Like I said She's like the eager constable Who wants to like Do everything right And she's like, do you write everything down? He's like, well, no, I just write down what's important. He's <laughs> I'm like, well, how do you know it's important? It's like, well, when we look back, you know, I'll, I'll know that it's important because it's it's in my notebook. And He's like, so you do write down everything? Yeah, everything. Yeah. It's just that, just one of the exchanges like that. Um, I absolutely love and yeah. The, for me, I just <laughs> I, I adored this movie. I yeah. It.
2: Yeah. For me, Saoirse Ronan is really the standout of it. She is. I yeah. I, I think she's really terrific. And if I'm being honest, okay, which I will be for a second. At first, I, ha- I, and I love Sam Rockwell, but I really had trouble believing him as a London or British <laughs> inspector at first. Sure. Uh, however, I, I, he won me over. He won me over because mm-hmm. th- he's a terrific actor. That's the thing. Um, so that took me a little warming up, to be honest, but uh, I love the interplay between the two of them. I think that's my favorite thing aspect so of the yeah. movie is and I think that's what makes the movie so charming is just this interaction between those two and and that sort of drives the plot forward yeah it, it doesn't lean too far into the again the whole meta aspect saying you know how these turn out you know how these go but it also doesn't necessarily do like knives out and really try and subvert it either you know Mm-hmm. It, it, but it's it's really entertaining. It's a good movie. I, I had a good time with that it's one.
1: It's just, yeah, it's really well written and like everything that they bring up Actually, like comes to be later on in the movie. Like there was one point where I was like, "Oh, are they going to remote English cottage house? Yeah, they are." (laughs) uh, I just that just made me laugh too, you know, because that's something that they bring up. It because that's how these movies always end. Like everybody, all the suspects are gathered in a remote English house where the detective or inspector tells them who the killer is and. But then it also, yeah, doesn't play out exactly the way that they say it's going. Yeah, I think it's, just, I think it was just really, really well done with that way. Being meta, but also like, you know, doing its own thing, doing its own story within that. Yeah, and yeah. Very, very charming. Yeah, it's yeah. a good word for it. Yeah. I was very charmed by it.
2: Yeah, I was too. I was too. Unfortunately, I did also see it right after another movie that is further up my list. So <laughs> that,
1: that is... so
2: it did affect oh. that. It did affect that. And we'll, we'll talk about it. My number nine shares some things in common with one that I am positive. I This is the one I am absolutely positive is on both our lists. Uh, not this movie, but the one that it has things related to. And that is a movie that even though I am not an Asian girl from Canada, I could relate to. Uh, and that is... Disney Pixar's Turning Red, uh, directed by... uh, (laughs) I didn't get to see this one either. Yeah, directed by Domi Shi. Uh, This is a movie about growing up and how you relate to your families. It stars uh, Rosalie Chang uh, as Mei Mei, who's a sort of pre-adolescent girl. And she has a group of friends who have diverse backgrounds here. And she is very devoted to her family and to the traditions of her family. Uh, They help to run a tourist attraction of a temple in their town. Then one day she wakes up and discovers that she has turned into a giant red panda. Obviously she freaks out, but she finds that if she comforts herself, (laughs) she... Is able to turn back uh, into herself, her girl form, now with red hair though, which is interesting. <laughs> so there are controversy about this movie because it's frank about things mm-hmm. like puberty, like the fact that girls have periods. Oh my gosh, I know. What? Uh, yeah, I oh know. Oh my gosh, um, I actually thought the way so way all of that was handled was so funny and so real because. I'm I'm a I'm a girl daddy, and uh, I I remember when all that went down, and mom was ready. Okay, mom was ready. Dad was not ready. <laughs> so uh, so you just kind of gotta yeah you gotta go with it. Um, Sandra O oh plays Ming the mother. Uh, she's terrific.
1: I love Sandra O.
2: Yeah, and um, one of the things that uh, relates to another movie is uh, James Hong is the grandfather, Mr. Gao, in this. And it's just a wonderful movie. And, you know, this it turns out there's this whole family curse where they called upon the, the power of the red panda to protect them from fighters in ancient times. And so in modern times, they go through this ritual that traps the panda inside like a pendant to some sort of keepsake. But they also... Uh, Maymay and her friends are infatuated with this boy band. It takes place in like the early 2000s. So they try and raise money to go to this concert. And how they do that is they let people take pictures with her as the panda and things like that. So, and she'll do like... Um, personal appearances and stuff like that. Well, also, she's warned at the beginning, the more you become the panda, the harder it is to go through the ritual. To change back. Yeah, so there's oh. a lot going on here. You know, there's a lot of subtext <laughs> going on here about not just growing up, but there's, there's you know, things like LGBTQ identity are certainly in the subtext here. The, but also the, the tension of... When you grow up, you want to be devoted to your family, but you also need to break away from them. Obviously, there are themes here that cross over into another very popular movie this year. It is an absolute travesty that Disney did not allow this movie to be released in theaters. It would have been a big hit. And instead, they released Lightyear, which bombed, and they released Strange World, which bombed harder. This movie would have been a hit. I have no doubt about it. Ugh. So the fact that uh, Disney seems to want to bury Pixar is just kind of been a bone of contention with me. Part of it is because this would have been the movie that that my daughter and I would have gone to see. <laughs> you know. Right? And th- yeah. this would be a movie that a lot of daughters would be going to see with their parents. I have no doubt about it. And my kids and uh, my sons liked it too. So we watched it all together on Disney Plus and so turning red. It'd be uh, a good Pixar. way
1: for kids to discuss like what's going on with them with their parents. Exactly. You know? It'd be a good, exactly. be a good um, conversation starter in that way. And, yeah, I really wish I had yeah. seen this. And I need to. My
2: my daughter, this is I think her favorite movie of the year too, and she's, she's, oh. she's 14. I mean, this isn't like, <laughs> you know, little kid kind of thing. Uh, Pixar's always been good at that though, where they can yeah, right, make a really entertaining movie that's got some really deep themes in it and really heavy themes sometimes. Yeah, when this we, was
1: my year of catching up on Pixar yeah. that I missed, and I, I was know like, I'm fine. <laughs> These are great. I know. I. I'm, I'm not crying. You're crying.
2: And well, what's <laughs> yeah. what's interesting to me they're was they're pretty good at that shit. <laughs> when the when the kids were little, when they were just about to transition into those sort of preteen years, we saw Inside Out, Oh, God. and I was ripped apart. <laughs> Yeah, me too. And then we watch this this year when my kids are – it's like they're coming out right at the right time. And so watching this with my daughter in particular – and I watched it twice with her. It's gutting because there are these, you know, lovely father-daughter scenes in this too. The father who does not have this panda curse, you know, because it's only with the women in the family – you know, trying to understand and relate, but not really able to entirely, but trying to say the right things, but not being able to, and all of these kinds of things. It's really poignant and powerful, mm-hmm. and there's something in this for everybody. And I, the reason I brought up what I said about, you know, even though I'm not a, a an Asian girl from Canada, I could still relate to this movie, uh, is because there was a major criticism that came out early on. I just can't. There's nothing in this movie I could relate to, says, you know, a middle-aged white guy. And it was like, who cares? It's about empathy. It's about connecting yeah. to.
1: It's about learning about people and what yeah. other people and what they're going through. What they're experiencing. Not- that.
2: Yeah. I mean, Roger Ebert famously called movies empathy machines, and this Mm -hmm. is a prime example of an empathy machine movie. And of course, it's Pixar. It's beautifully made. It's beautifully crafted. It's created by Asian people behind the scenes, as well as in the voice talent. Uh, So it's a very personal piece for the people who made it. And I love that, you know, this is kind of what they did with Coco a few years ago, where you had um, a very Hispanic experience kind of movie, Latino, Latina experience kind of movie going on. And that one again, Perfectly relatable for anyone who has a heart, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, it doesn't matter. It, and again, it's the empathy machine and it's giving you a glimpse into these worlds that you may or may not have experience with, but you can still have a empathetic time enjoying and, and experiencing. So I, I love Pixar. I think they are without a doubt the best animation studio for the last 25 years since toy story came out it's a great film and i i think it will only grow in stature as it goes along
1: i kind of had a feeling when i was looking back at uh, the movies that came out this year that this would be on your list and i'm glad it was because now i i really want to like run out and see it now very sad that i missed it yeah i think it's one that i would definitely
2: enjoy i think you would too okay number eight
1: Number eight for me, um, we're going to go completely different from that, but it's one that I don't really have to say too much about because we already did a full episode on it. Halloween Ends?
2: All right.
1: I wasn't sure if this one was going to end up on the list, but really the more I thought about it, it's like I've been very intrigued by this whole new Halloween trilogy that they've done and how different it's played out than i thought it would and yeah like i said in that episode this was my favorite of the three and the more i think about it still the more yeah it's definitely one of my favorites that i saw this year i just i really related um to laurie's story and her arc and like where she was that particular stage of coping and you know trauma and everything that she's in in this movie even more so than i related to Mm -hmm. uh her in the 2018 version yeah i think it's a more relatable
2: form of trauma or trauma response for a lot of people most of us don't hole up in a fortress and become, you know, poster children for the NRA.
1: But I like, yeah, I loved how this was more about her trying to rebuild and how it was very positive and very hopeful because that's just kind of how I'm feeling right now too. So um, I really enjoyed seeing that portrayed in a movie and not just like all the downer parts of it, you know, that there is another side to uh, overcoming things. And I'm still sticking by my theory that a lot of this movie and a lot of this whole trilogy is just more metaphorical than literal, you know, having to do with Laurie and Michael Myers. And that maybe, I think the reason that people maybe didn't enjoy it as much is because they just wanted Michael Myers killing people. And I don't think that that's what this trilogy was ever trying to do. It was more of what he and other characters were representative of.
2: Yeah, yeah. and it's ironic because the movie that gives you that Halloween Kills is probably uh, the most hated of them all. Right. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just found that sort of interesting. Uh, yeah, I liked this movie and the more I think about it the more I like it. Because I gave it a three-star review like I said on the episode when I saw it. No, I didn't review it. I just rated it. So I like it. Um, my son hated it and I get that. But I have a feeling it's going to be one of those movies where like Halloween it's gonna get re-evaluated. three, yeah, like Halloween three, it's going to get the reevaluation thing happening to it in another, you know, fifteen, twenty, twenty five, I don't know, forty years. It seems like that's how long it took <laughs> for Halloween three was a, was almost forty years. I just, I wrote a a forty year retrospective on it this year on Halloween three, and. I was surprised by the number of people that still hate it because all I hear is love for this movie most of the time. And a lot of the comments that I saw, not directed toward me, they were directed toward the movie, were, I still hate this movie.
1: Halloween 3? Halloween 3. Or, yeah, I was, oh I was
2: surprised. But I think <laughs> Halloween ends, there's always going to be controversy surrounding these movies, you know. But I do think this is going to get the Halloween 3 evaluation reevaluation. And it's going to be the movie that people go, you know, that was actually pretty good. It's I don't know. The best if... one
1: of the new trilogy. Yeah. It's the right way that the story should have concluded. Yeah. And I think it was done beautifully. Perfect.
2: Yeah. I still don't know how I feel about David Gordon Green doing The Exorcist next, but we'll see. I kind of like the new trilogy of Halloween overall. But, you know, there are differing perspectives on all of these things, right? Which we went into in depth in our yeah. Halloween like I said, not Ends episode. Not much more to say. Yeah.
1: Go listen to that. <laughs> yeah, if
2: you're interested. Yeah, for sure. Okay, my number eight. I'm kind of wondering if this is going to be higher on your list. Is what became for me the second best horror film of the year. A very surprising film that I don't want to say that much about. For those who haven't seen it yet. Uh, from Zach Kreger barbarian i I had a feeling we'll talk about it when we get to it okay number seven
1: okay me again Jeez. okay so this is another recent one that i saw and i put off watching it for so long because i really didn't think that i was gonna like it even though i have liked the other stuff that um, this director has done robert eggers
2: Okay. Um, yeah. Talking
1: about the Northman. Okay, have, Northman or whatever. However the you say Northman.
2: It. I have seen it. It's not on my list. It didn't quite make my list, but yeah, I like this movie, and it would make a hell I, of a pairing with a movie that's in my honorable mentions, by the way. Okay. <laughs> I'll talk about that in a minute.
1: So, like when I texted you that I was watching this, one of the reasons I liked it is that this is a big, beefy man movie, <laughs> and. I'm not mad at it for that, yeah. for um, Alexander Skarsgård um, and his shoulders, like, what the hell? Like, especially now that I started lifting, I was, like, really watching. I know. I was, like, really looking at his body. I was like, okay. <laughs> Damn, son.
2: Yeah, You know what it I, takes I don't now. Know. <laughs> yeah. I know, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Much more respect. Respect, bro. But, yeah, like, I I don't know what it is. This is going to make me sound dumb, maybe, but, like. Some period pieces like this kind, I, it's, it's hard to relate to those kind of movies. You know, sometimes the language and them trying to be like historically accurate, like the names or whatever it I don't know. Sometimes it's hard for me to like really follow what's going on or it's just there's nothing to connect to, to relate to. But this one, it really kind of got me right away. Like you told me I didn't even realize that this was kind of based off of uh, Hamlet.
2: Yeah, I realized and that as we were watching. Because first it's like, wait, okay, so Ethan Hawke is his uncle. Or is, oh, Ethan Hawke's his father, his father and he's killed by his uncle. Oh, that's That rings a bell. <laughs> and then where, where it really hit me was when uh, Nicole Kidman tried to sort of seduce him. Okay. I was like, oh, <laughs> there we are. Yeah.
1: But at its core, I mean, it's basically just a revenge story which i love i love revenge stories and it doesn't get too bogged down by other things it keeps it to that core which is why it was a little bit easier for me to watch it and and relate to it so it's um alexander skarsgård as the omleth i think yeah the name
2: and again hamlet
1: (laughs) so as a young boy yeah he sees his father murdered by his uncle and seemingly takes his mother away to be his new wife now um i like how the boy gets away omelette when he gets away from one of his uncle's guys that like comes after him to try to kill him he just like cuts his nose off and yeah the guy doesn't want to admit that a boy right <laughs> did that to him so he gets away but anyway he's like he's grown up now and he's um with some oh Vikings, gosh that so,
2: berserker like, scene is crazy <laughs> isn't it <Ooh>. man <laughs>
1: But basically, yeah, he's he's a grown-up boy now. Very, very grown-up. Um, <laughs> um, this is a very, very sweaty <laughs>
2: movie, too. There's, a, there's yes. a lot of glistening sweat on rippling muscles in this movie.
1: Like I said, did not hate that part. Yeah, I bet. And he swears to avenge his father and save his mother. I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. And like I said, it's just keeps it really simple. It, does, it doesn't feel like as distant as these stories can sometimes be to me. I was able to to follow it, you know.
2: Yeah. It's well paced.
1: It, yeah, it's well paced. Anya Taylor-Joy is in this, of course, like a oh. Robert Eggers uh, staple now, I guess. And don't hate that no, either because she's I, awesome. She's
2: fantastic, yeah.
1: She's fantastic in this. It's nice and bloody, like awesome action going on too. Um, and I just, I thought it was a really cool movie. And I, I, I've i loved everything that Eggers has done so far. And it's like, I'm going to make a witch movie. I'm going to make a movie about dudes in a lighthouse. And I'm going to make a freaking Viking movie. Like, yeah. go for it, son. Yeah. You're doing an awesome job. Do whatever you want. So I loved this. I thought it was Awesome.
2: Yeah, it is really good. I didn't have a particularly great uh, theatrical experience with this movie, if I'm being honest. No. I was sitting in my spot, and this guy who smelled like Cheetos came and sat right next to me, you know, after the movie started. So that was fun. Right next to you? Yeah, right next to me. It's like, dude, come on. And, okay, the worst thing was I saw this with an audience that was clearly immature. And they weren't, like, kids. They weren't, like, teenagers or anything like that. But the part... Where okay, there's a there's an element of like I'm kind of alluded to of incest in this, and there is in Hamlet too, though it's much more subtextual in Hamlet. Nicole Kidman's character kind of tries to seduce him, and this guy behind me just started going ew 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 like really loud, and I'm like grow the fuck up you asshole seriously. It was just ridiculous. It was just like it's a story. It, depiction does not equal endorsement and all that, but I anyway. That That's aside, a great scene
1: between the two of them—it's the
2: incredible. Yeah, you know, as, as you said, hey, your woman's in this. Yeah, I know. Uh, I, yeah. I do, I do <laughs> like, I do like me some some Nicole Kidman, and I think she's terrific in this. I think everyone's terrific in this. I think Ethan Hawke and uh, Willem Dafoe in that opening scene. Yes. Where in,
1: oh, I forgot about Willem Dafoe. Yeah.
2: Holy <laughs> crap! That's amazing. I love that part yeah. in the lodge where they're trying to, you know, yeah. man him up or whatever they're trying to do to make him ready to be king some and all kind that. Of,
1: yeah, some kind of ritual that they have to do.
2: Yeah, I mean, where they're all naked and eating like dogs and stuff like that. It's just <laughs> wild. And there's so much going on in this... I think it's just really compelling, and it's surpri- I know it's a big sort of sprawling movie, but it really only takes place in a few locations.
1: It doesn't feel like that, though, yeah. Yeah. It feels, it feels very contained.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's it's sort of like the, the idea of the intimate epic, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. It's sort of like Lawrence of Arabia like or something like that. It was an intimate epic where it's this sort of massive scope of a film, but it is about the characters very much. I mean it's not as sprawling as something like Lawrence of Arabia. That's just an example of another intimate epic. Because this is a I what you mean though. That's much, a good way to describe it. This is a much lower budget movie than that. But I mean the fact that they gave Robert Eggers as much as they gave him to make this movie is pretty amazing. Because uh, this is not a commercial film, uh, that's gonna make a ton of ton of bucks. But I got I'm just gonna say it now. This movie and I can't really even say why would make a hell of a double feature you watch the northman follow it up with violent night and i am not kidding so i wish <laughs> I'm i could curious s- to those I, connect. <laughs> I, I, I wish i could say why but uh, seriously there's a part i haven't seen violent night yet there's a part in violent night that came up i was like holy crap this would be like the perfect double with the northman and the thing is violent night is so much funnier than this movie is So you can get yourself sort of dragged to the depths of despair with the Northmen, and then uh, get yourself out of them by watching Violent Night. But anyway, I really liked this movie. I'm glad I saw it. I'm glad I saw it in the theater. Seeing it in the big screen, even if the audience was a little bit annoying, uh, was really quite an experience. So happy I saw this one. I
1: liked the look of it. Oh yeah, like it's very drab. Kind of color wise, in a way, but it's still kind of beautiful at the same time. It like, is very muted colors throughout. I, I don't know. I mean, they shot this lighting or something about it.
2: They shot this in what beautiful. Iceland? I mean, where yeah, the bulk of the movie probably. takes place, I think, is in Iceland, and it's just this beautiful setting. Uh, There's green hills and mountains and everything, and sort of the ice and stuff that's sort of around and everything. It's it's just a gorgeous film. Yeah. Okay, so what are we on, seven? You're seven, yes. My number seven is probably the darkest satire of the year. And I don't know, this may or may not be on your list too. I don't know, because I know you've seen this one. It's an examination of art. No. Okay, okay, this one didn't make it, okay. It's hard. Okay, well, as examination of art and how different people react to it. Mark Mylod's The Menu.
1: Ah, uh, uh, it was hard. Yeah, but no, didn't make it <laughs> again.
2: Anya Taylor I Joy. Loved it, Anya, ta- yeah. yeah, Anya Taylor Joy. She goes on this date with this guy who's kind of pretentious. Kind of. Yeah. Well, kind of. Yeah. Named Tyler, played by Nicholas Holt. It's this exclusive restaurant where there are only a few guests that are invited to this place on a weekly basis to be able to eat the finest food imaginable by uh, chef Slawick played by Ray Fines and things get weird let's put it that way it, uh,
1: <laughs> I think that's that's enough yeah yeah I I, I, yeah, say things yeah, get weird. I, I don't want
2: to it's one of those things I just I don't want to spoil much I think it's got such a great cast I think uh, John Leguizamo who's also terrific in violent night by the way is so funny as the movie star, um, Judith Light. That
1: nobody recognizes. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's like, and it, they were all kind of invited for a particular reason. And as those reasons are slowly revealed, it's very funny and dark and fascinating. And the whole thing about Margot, uh, Anya Taylor Joy's character, which Margot may not even be her real name, or it's not her real name, right? Or might may or may not be. Who she actually is, who she actually is, is very interesting. Uh, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, are you going to be the one who serves or the one who consumes? You know, all of that stuff. And I love that they go to this place where there's food and there's no actual food. Uh, It is (laughs) just so funny. And judging by the trailer, I thought this was going to kind of be like a most dangerous game story in reverse. Yes. That's really not what it is. What it ultimately is, is a satire about artists and passion and the lack of passion and what happens in the wake of success. Do you know what it reminds me a little bit of? Almost Famous. (laughs) okay (laughs) it's become lifestyle maintenance you know it's I used to be able to hear the music everywhere in the sounds of the world now I don't hear that anymore there's a lot of that kind of thing happening in this movie in a lot of ways it's a skewering of critics and people who like to talk about things like film and and think they know (laughs) think they know everything about movies but actually don't know anything (laughs) go ahead and make your own you know Tyler (laughs) I love that part. This is sort of, I guess, technically a horror movie, but it's not. It's yeah, it's it's, um, it's horror adjacent. It's ish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's horror adjacent, uh, but it's got the bleakest, blackest, most cutting, biting satire I've seen in years, and I love a good satire. I mm-hmm. mean, give me Doctor Strange, love any day. Uh, you know, this is. That kind of thing where it's just so dark, skewering the sort of current state of things, influencers and Mm. movie stars and uh, social media and foodies and uh, (laughs) film Twitter and critics and everything in between. It's so good and amazing Amazing cheeseburger porn in this movie. Cheeseburger
1: porn. Oh my god! Yeah, uh, <laughs> you were very right about that. <laughs> yeah,
2: and and the thing is, I disagree with him about American cheese. I don't like American cheese, but uh, um, no,
1: American cheese is the perfect cheese for a cheeseburger because it
2: doesn't split. <laughs> right? It it, you, it melts, it but melts it perfectly, but doesn't split. Yes. Yeah, and the thing is, I I just don't like American cheese. <laughs> uh, I'm a cheddar god. guy, so but yeah. Anyway, <laughs> it was Birdo. terrific and. Just the way things sort of slowly peel back and you realize what's going mm-hmm. on. And it gives you a lot to chew on as you're leaving, too. No pun intended.
1: Yeah.
2: I don't want to say anything else no, to spoil it. But yeah,
1: that's the hard thing about this one. Yeah. yeah, it's another one where what you saw in the trailer is probably not what it's going to end think up is, being. Yeah. Like, for what you think it's going to be. No, because, yeah, I definitely had the thought that it was going to be like a most dangerous game or mm-hmm. something like that. But it was... Very different. And even as it was unfolding slowly, like it it still took me a little bit while to get it, but I was enjoying like every minute of it even when i didn't really know what was going on or where it was going and it kind of feels dumb because it took me a while to really catch on to the comedy mm-hmm. just in like the little conversations that were going on like as each course was served to people and they kind of cut back to you know everyone's talking yeah. at their own little tables and the more i watched it, the more i was like okay i i got this now and it was it ended up being like hilarious yeah
2: it's one that I would so, really like to see again. This is
1: <laughs> I really want to watch it again. This is yeah. going to
2: be a thoroughly rewatchable kind of movie. Absolutely. Because, you know, you're just going to get more into what how funny it is the more you watch yeah, it. Yeah,
1: definitely. And If you're talking about biting satires that you really enjoyed, did you happen to see another one from this year? This one kind of reminded me of uh, Triangle of Sadness. Did I did not
2: see that. I haven't even heard of that until now. <laughs>
1: Ah, okay. Yeah. You you might like that one. It, it's in my discard. I'll talk about it a little bit more. Okay. But yeah, I, I had so much fun with the menu. <laughs> I really want to talk about certain scenes, but that'll spoil things. But yeah, we'll just say like. Maybe uh, it's one that
2: th- it's very cool. This is one that we could do for an episode. I think you know this is one of those that you Maybe. can really split apart. You know, do a satires yeah. episode and or something oh, like that. Yeah, yeah, and yeah.
1: We'll have to put that on the list. Yeah.
2: So this this would be a good candidate for that. Okay, what's your number six?
1: My number six is the fifth movie in a series. No, not that one. (laughs) In the Predator series. Oh, yeah, great choice. I'm talking about Prey, directed by uh, Dan Trachtenberg. It's the fifth movie in the Predator series, but it is a prequel. It takes place in 1719. Honestly, like, fuck all the bullshit that people had to say about this and how, like, unbelievable it was with the main character. Because this movie was... Whatever. Freaking awesome. And I'm not... I've seen all the Predator movies, all the Predator versus Alien, all that stuff. Um, I own them all and I love them all. I'm not super familiar with it. But what I do know is that those movies rule. The Predators are fucking badass. And the people that fight the predators are also fucking badass. And this one is no exception. And this one, we have um, a young Comanche woman um, named Naru and her amazing dog.
2: Yeah, the dog. Yeah, the the dog dog is
1: amazing. The shelter
2: rescue (laughs) that became a movie star. Yeah.
1: Oh, really?
2: Yeah. There's a shelter rescue, which I love. That dog is a good boy, for sure.
1: She really wants to be a hunter.
2: She kind of wants to be a warrior. She she has the spirit of the
1: warrior, I believe, and Mm -hmm. she wants to be a hunter Mm -hmm. fighting with the other men in her tribe, but uh, it's kind of a thing that no one really thinks that she can do it, and she's constantly having to prove herself to the other Mm -hmm. people, and so that's that's how she's going to do it in this movie by coming up against the Predator. She's played by uh, Amber Midthunder, who is Mm -hmm. awesome.
2: She's terrific. She is so good. She's one of the best performances of the year, yeah.
1: I haven't seen her in anything else. I don't know if she's been in anything else. But she carries this movie so well. She is so engaging and sweet and tough and... Stubborn and everything that I love about uh, her character, she's great at it. The predator stuff is always awesome um, in these movies. He's got a new thing here. He's got this like shield that has never been in any of the movies before. That I thought was really cool. I don't know, just the effects of him like ripping stuff apart. And there's an awesome scene with a grizzly bear uh, in this. And I don't know, just it's it's a very good predator movie. Very cool action movie um, with a great protagonist. I love her weapon she comes up with a new type of weapon yeah she attaches a rope that she's made um to her axe and there's a scene where she's like just practicing with it and throwing it back and forth between two trees and that's yeah. when I was like, "All right, this chick rules," and I love this. And uh, she's just she's just a great character. And like I said, it was so dumb that there was like all this stuff about like how could you know this inexperienced woman you know fight and defeat a predator. It's like that's
2: kind of the point. They called her untrained, which I thought was ridiculous. It's, that that's her whole it's life not has not at been all training. the case. That's yeah. all she's ever been doing. That's all. That's her whole and life so, has been training uh,
1: yeah. to be a hunter. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, and the thing is, is, that's kind of the point that. I found interesting too because, okay, I'm not a big fan of these movies. I'll be honest with you. I think the first Predator is fine. I don't get into it the way that a lot of people. Predator is fucking awesome, um, dude. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I haven't even seen <laughs> Predator two. I really liked Predators. Yeah, I Predators thought it was pretty good. I, and I didn't see the Shane Black one, but it's always been a key point in drama, in like war drama, that the scrappy little underdog you know, mm-hmm. uses their brains to win. And that's part of the problem of the first movie is they're trying to win with just their brawn. Yeah. You know, they're trying to win with their weapons and everything and they get mutilated. They get wiped out, except for Schwarzenegger. And it's just spoiler. Only right. when he starts um, but using his
1: brain exactly when he being starts more, using his
2: exactly starts being more observant
1: about how the predator works and that's exactly what she does exactly in this movie.
2: exactly yeah. and she's doing it from the beginning though yeah she's spending her time watching him and figuring out how to exactly do these things uh, to piece it together so i mean it's kind of the point of the freaking movie
1: i know you <laughs> that's know that's why i was like what the fuck are y'all talking about
2: <laughs> uh, so i i I, I don't understand that criticism at all. This movie was on my uh, horror list that I did for Pod and the Pendulum. Nice. Uh So if you want to hear more of my thoughts, listen to that episode. It's a lot of fun. But uh, this is blasphemy, but I think this is probably my favorite Predator movie.
1: I don't think that's blasphemy at all. It doesn't seem like there's been one that has been as well-received as this one, as the first one, you know?
2: Right. And, you know, everyone's ac- like, do you like it better than the first one? It's like, yeah, I kind of do. I I think it's more interesting because Mm -hmm. I've seen those big action movies like that before, you know, and I've seen Alien, and it's just like
1: you've seen a bunch of guys being dudes uh, movies, uh, yeah, guys (laughs) being dude movies, you know,
2: and I, you know, I've seen Rambo and I've seen Commando and I've seen all those, you know, you basically get them in there fighting an alien, yeah, okay, that's cool, it's a great movie, I like that movie, but at this, and I like the the switch how it goes from being sort of a war commando kind of movie to being a a hunter movie. I think that's really cool. There's a lot of great things going for for Predator. And frankly, I need to probably watch it again. I I think my first experience with it was not great, and so it's sort of colored my experiences with it since. But I loved this movie from the get-go. I think this has got uh, so much going for it. And uh, one of the things I haven't done yet that I need to do is watch it with the Comanche dub. That's supposed to be a, a, a great um, I forgot about that. Yeah, it's supposed to yeah, it's supposed to be a really great way to watch this movie because you right. watch it with everyone's everyone speaking the mm-hmm. languages that they would be speaking, whether it's French or, or Comanche. And I think that's a great way to go. Yeah. So and I love that they did that too. And I don't know that the actors in the movie speak Comanche or not. You know, personally, um, the dub might have been done by someone else because it's a fading language. It's a disappearing language. So it, the fact that it has had this, um, the the ability to do that is really a cool thing that they did. And I'm glad they did to sort of preserve some aspect of the language in a in a popular form of entertainment. And I think important, not just cool, but an important yeah, right. thing. To <laughs> I totally so, forgot yeah. about that.
1: Yeah. Because I, mm-hmm. I started to rewatch this um a little bit when i was making the list like oh that's right prey was freaking awesome and i want to watch it again if i do rewatch it i will do it that way but yeah, yeah look, overall this was just a very cool new predator movie like i said i don't among action fans at least like my little circle of fans that um, that i had on twitter like they i don't think there's been a predator movie that was as beloved as this one you know as much as, like, the first one is beloved. Like, because the, the one, the other ones are kind of like, yeah, well, people love Predator too, The other yeah. ones are kind of like, they have their fans, but they're not, like, overall, like, as beloved. I think this one really impressed a lot of people and definitely impressed me. Um, and it definitely should be as well-received as it was. It gave fans what they wanted from a Predator movie. It gave us some new mm-hmm. stuff, you know, that added into the, the franchise with the character and it gave, gave us a great new protagonist and, you know, that's perfect thing that a sequel or prequel should do, you know, not just you know, redo the same things that have been done before in the previous movies, but something completely different
2: but still what the fans fitting want. The mythos, fitting yeah, yeah,
1: fitting in with the mythology and but still doing its own thing at the same time. Truly love this one. Yeah. Great yeah
2: time. Yeah, I like this one a lot too. Yeah. Okay. My number six is one I don't think you've seen. Over the past few weeks, I guess I've kind of wanted to watch things that would really hit me emotionally and some things that I thought might didn't, this one sort of did unexpectedly. Uh, It's directed by Dean fleischer Camp, and it's called Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. Tell me about what's life like?
0: It's pretty much common knowledge that it takes at least 20 shells to have a community. My cousin fell asleep in a pocket and that's why I don't like the saying, everything comes out of the wash. Because sometimes it doesn't, or sometimes it does, and they're just like a completely different person. So, it's actually only two of us now myself and my grandmother, Nana Connie. We like to watch 60 Minutes because Leslie Stahl is fearless. Nana, yes, make sir. the noise. Sometimes I find my mind wandering, thinking, what would my family think? Do you think they could be out there?
1: Machelo, let's forget about
0: being afraid. Just take the adventure. Okay, well, let's do it. Hi, everybody. It's Marcel. I'm recording this video because I'm looking for my family. There's no point missing I don't know.
1: Marcel the Shell and the Search for a Family Reunited. Ah! Marcel, how long has it been since you've seen your family? I couldn't tell you, but the space in my heart gets bigger and louder every day. Hmm. Dean, do you know how long?
2: That's two years. Two years.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's nice to know.
2: And it's an A24 movie about a shell with a googly eye and <laughs> shoes. So it's like one of those little tchotchkes that you pick up at a tourist trap mm-hmm. kind of thing. And it's not just cute, it's like genuinely emotional that he and his grandmother, so Jenny Slate plays the voice of Marcel and Isabella Rossellini plays Nana Connie, uh, who's also a shell, but like an older one. And they are alone in this like Airbnb for like two years they, because their original owners started fighting and they broke up and they moved out. And they got left behind. And they can't find the rest of their family. So it's just the two of them in this house. And they've had to kind of figure out how to exist alone. So they find ways to get food. They find ways to get water. uh, And he's just like this clever little guy who's a shell (laughs) with shoes on. (laughs) And it sounds so insanely stupid. But it is... cute, honestly. (laughs) It is so touching what this movie turns out to be. Because, uh, okay, the the director of the film moves into this house, okay, so Dean. He discovers Marcel one day and he decides he's going to make a movie about him. And Marcel keeps asking him things like, well, why don't you uh, talk on the camera too? And it's like, well, because this isn't about me, it's about you. And it's just this idea of not wanting to turn, get emotional ourselves. We're very cool about you know letting others have these emotional moments on camera, but would we ever do that? And and it's just kind of a search for his family. It's such a simple, beautiful little movie. And uh, Marcel and Nana are stop motion characters in a live action world, which is really clever and cool. I think that is one of the things I liked about it a lot. I love stop motion. Uh, There were three great stop-motion movies this year, Uh, Pinocchio, Mad God, and this. This was my favorite. This was the one that actually touched me the most. And I know it's not fully stop-motion. A lot of it is films. But I mean, there's this whole funny thing where Nana and Marcel watch 60 Minutes every week and they love Leslie Stahl. And then... Marcel ends up getting interviewed by Leslie Stahl because the video gets out and goes viral. Uh, People start coming to the house because they want to catch a glimpse of Marcel and he just wants to be alone. He just doesn't (laughs) want to be bothered by so many people. He begs for the video to be taken down and all these things because it's not about fame. It's about finding his family. Gosh, it's such a sweet movie. I can't remember if I wrote a review, but I might have and it was like damn shell movie make me cry (laughs) it's just a beautiful movie that you gotta just trust it and see it because it's sweet but not in a way that is overly saccharine i don't think some might but there's real sincerity i think in in the movie and story about family being again the found family like we've discussed a lot is a key element of this because it feels like marcel and uh dean sort of become family through the course of this movie as well. So it's really terrific. I didn't expect to like it as much as I did. I thought it would be one of those movies that might end up being somewhere in the honorable mentions, but it shot up pretty high pretty quick.
1: I remember you telling me about this, or at least telling me the title, and I was like, wait, what?
2: Yeah. <laughs> Marcel
1: Shell with shoes on. But the way you're describing it, yeah, it does sound very very sweet and I'm kind of in the mood for movies like that now so I think I would probably enjoy that too
2: <laughs> when I did my horror list like half of them ended up being horror comedies and then this year I'm looking at my top one most of them are like super emotional or super funny
1: yeah like that's my top two. or a little
2: a bit or a little bit of each you know that's just kind of where I'm at I think and that's where I'm at
1: too yeah exactly yeah <laughs> I, th- I would say like maybe a couple or on my on my well, we'll list. Get it. We'll get to it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.
2: Actually my next my...
1: three are, are horror her movies, but
2: Oh, okay. They'll make okay, sense. so we're heading into our we're heading into our top five. Yeah. What's next? What's your number five?
1: Number five is one I've mentioned several times that I've been trying to champion ever since I first saw it. Kind of on a whim one day. I hadn't heard really anything about it, but which uh-huh. is why I enjoyed it as much as I did because I didn't know anything about it. I had the day off and I saw that this movie came out. So I decided to just to go and see it and I fucking loved it. And then I came out of it and I realized I was dumb for not knowing what it was about in the first place. But that was really <laughs> the strength of the movie when I first watched it. And that was The Invitation.
2: Yes, I just saw this, what, a week or two ago? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is pretty good. I like this. And we both
1: have similar kind of things that we think maybe would have made it work a little bit better, you know, um, maybe not revealing so much about this movie, I think would have made it so much stronger to people seeing it for the first time. Um, I think it's pretty well known now that it's about vampires, which I did not know at all. And the way that the movie plays out, unless you catch those little hints along the way, you don't really know that it's about vampires either until it's like fully revealed.
2: Yeah. I mean, the... (laughs) I honestly think the biggest hint was when they have the, the scene with the maids sort of in the house by themselves, Yeah, uh, where, where they're, one's in the library, cleaning the library, and but the other really... one that's in the cellar. You don't know that they're vampires, but, but there's like something, something like that, you know? Yeah. yeah and I kind of wish they had not had those scenes and just sort of let it play out with the main character. And have uh-huh. it be this love story that develops that right. all of a sudden you get yeah. to that you get to that engagement dinner and holy, holy shit, shit That yeah. would have that would have been a reveal. Yeah. I think people would be would have been talking about this movie as one of the great twists like uh yes. from dust till dawn kind of level twist if that had been how they did it. That's um, how I feel too. But that's yes. That that's that's my sort of personal feeling about it. But I overall like the movie a lot. I think it's a it's a fun movie. I mean, that's kind of how I feel,
1: too. Like if they had just left it at the setup, not Uh anything in the trailer or anything. I think it would have worked out so much better for people. But as it is, like, I absolutely loved it. It It's like totally my aesthetic of like gothic Uh horror Uh um, in this big old country house in England. Um, so it's directed by Jessica M. Thompson, by the way, and written by Blair Butler. It stars Natalie Emmanuel as Evie. She's a artist in New York who is working as a caterer to make ends meet. And she has to cater to this party where she gets one of the gift bags or one of the grab bags at the end of the night that includes a DNA test. And her mom, you know, just died recently. And so she's kind of on her own looking for... You know a family connection and so she takes the dna test and sends it in finds out she has this cousin oliver in england and they meet up and he invites her to this big wedding that's going to happen at their house and offers to you know pay for her flight and stay and everything and it'll just be a fun trip where she can go and meet her family absolutely love the setting obviously when they get to the big old house in england they specifically call it New Carfax, New
2: Carfax, Abby. Abby. Yeah. Which yeah.
1: I don't know why the fuck I wasn't <laughs> clinging
2: my. <laughs> I was
1: just kind of like, oh, that's cute, like oh, a cute little Dracula, you know, English reference or whatever. No, Ugh. I just feel dumb for <laughs> not <laughs> catching <laughs> onto that. I caught the reference, but I was just like, oh, that's cute. But anyway. <laughs> yeah I mean, it's like I said it's totally my aesthetic. I love like the setting and the sets are beautiful. Like her reaction when she gets into her room is kind of the same as mine would be. And I love this main character. She is
2: oh, she's terrific. She, she's yeah.
1: terrific. Mm-hmm. She's very cute for one thing, A little nose ring and artist vibe love it. sure. um, but mm-hmm. she's also just like really. Um, resourceful and independent, and she's just—I she, hadn't like another actress like I haven't seen her before, but she's definitely going places because she's awesome. And again, carries this entire movie very well. Also, how did I miss that Sean Pertwee was the butler? <laughs> right, I did not recognize him. I love that. Yeah. Anyway, I, he was, great. I, I
2: was happy that for him in that
1: yeah Uh, i did not catch him until i read his name Mm -hmm. in the credits i was like how did i not recognize you anyway um yeah it is the dracula story but i like that it's a modern kind of updated version of it and how the climax plays out there's a lot of new different interesting stuff that they kind of add in um, mm-hmm. And I I love the climax of it, and there's fun little Dracula references throughout that again I should have picked up on sooner, but whatever. <laughs> but after it's revealed, yeah. like the the harkers, <laughs> so um, yeah.
2: My big question with this movie concerns them. It's like <laughs> yeah. what happened to what them happened to-, <laughs> to turn them into such assholes? That's what I want to know.
1: I know this was uh, just uh, super fun gorgeous movie that i i just had a blast with and i love vampires dracula gothic stories anyway and again it's another one of those things where it's like you can take a classic story something you think you've seen like tons and tons of times before and just putting your own little spin on it or just doing things maybe just a little bit different like i was i don't want to give it away but like i was telling you about like one of my favorite things in that climax like during the wedding scene. That happens i was like that's freaking cool and i haven't yeah. seen that before
2: i hadn't either i thought that was really really clever yeah uh, to to do it that way and it sort of plays off the lore of vampires mm-hmm. while taking it in a new direction yes. i had never seen that possibility done before yeah. and it was really really well done
1: yeah so you so, can always just like add in at least mm-hmm. one new element and boom a vampire mm-hmm. story is new and exciting again so that's yeah, what I think this yeah. one did. I really enjoyed this a lot,
2: and I do think this movie's underrated. I, yes. I think that more people should see that because I think it'll be one of those movies that'll be kind of a cult film for vampire fans, for horror fans, and people are calling it kind of Twilighty. I don't personally what? agree. I don't. Nope. I don't find the movie Twilighty at all. There's another movie that's being called that that is on my list that I am going to throw down on. Okay. Um, <laughs> so. Don't call it Twilighty because it's not. Okay. <laughs> I don't like Twilight, by the way. Sorry, all the Twilight fans out there. No, I don't you guys know. love it all you want. I'm glad you love it, but I just can't do it. Okay. So, my number five yep. is one that you have not seen, but you have alluded to. Uh, Directed by Ryan Johnson, Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery. I
1: want to see it so bad.
2: I caught this in the theatrical run that only lasted stupidly Mm
1: -hmm.
2: a week. Uh, Netflix, who once again displaying the reason why they are losing millions. But this movie is so damn good. And I was on board from the beginning. I love what they do. Daniel Craig is great as Benoit Blanc in Knives Out. Mm -hmm. He's better here.
0: Ah, okay.
2: He's more comfortable in the character's skin. Um, a lot of sort of the subtext of, of who he is becomes more clear in this movie, which I think is great. There are fantastic cameos, a terrific one by Hugh Grant uh, <laughs> that I won't spoil. Um, okay. I'm not going to spoil anything about this movie. I'm it's just going to say no. there are references to the current moment of, all over this movie. Edward Norton plays Miles Braun, who's sort of this uber rich guy who started this tech thing. He's a fairly thinly veiled stand-in for Elon Musk. Let's put it that way, okay? (laughs) Okay. Uh, He owns a large social media platform, Ah. let's put it that way. And he invites these uh, friends that he's known forever to his private island, in the Greek Isles that has this house on it called the Glass Onion. It's a metaphor that's described in the movie where it has multiple layers, but you can see right to the middle. Right. Um, that <laughs> That's the whole idea of it. I'm sorry for my Benoit Blanc impression there. <laughs> but like the first one, it's twist upon twist that are revealed in clever, clever ways. Um, there's a little bit of last of sheila here and their little bits of uh yeah yeah, (laughs) i know he's just salivating over this movie for me uh knives out was one of my favorite movies of 2019 i Mm -hmm. think it was my number two or three this is at least as good as knives out it might and i hesitate to say this but it might be better It is just a terrific fun movie and it has a moment in it that's a Magnolia reference that made me laugh out (laughs) loud in the theater (laughs) and had everybody going, what the hell is that guy laughing at? But if you're a fan of Magnolia, you will get it because the character who makes the reference obviously doesn't get what that movie's about at all. <laughs> okay. So anyway, I was just completely taken by this. A terrific cast. Obviously, Daniel Daniel Craig uh, and Edward Norton, who I've already mentioned. Dave Bautista playing
0: a really crazy who's in it.
2: outlandish character. Uh, Kate Hudson, uh, also nice. from... One of my favorites, obviously, from Almost Famous. Uh, Catherine Hahn, Madeline okay, Klein, okay. Leslie Odom Jr., and uh, Jessica Henwick. But the real standout of this movie is Janelle Monae as Cassandra Brand. And so, so good. It is structurally different from the first one. It's taking things in a different kind of direction, so unlike, uh, see how they run. It is not taking those things. You've seen uh, one who done it. You've seen them all. It is you ain't seen nothing yet. Okay. You don't know what you're in for. Which is what Knives Out is too. Yeah. Which is what Last of Sheila is, yeah. and and others like that as well. It's it's like you don't know what you're in for. I think it's actually funnier than the first one. I was laughing beginning to end through this movie. The whole theater was, I saw this in a huge theater that was packed. This movie could have made $300 million at the box office if Netflix was smart. But instead, they are dumb. They pulled it after a week, and they're putting it on their streaming service, which most people share passwords for instead. Right. So <laughs> this would have been a cash cow for them. They would have made back all the money they lost in the last year if they had let this run for a month or two in the theaters like it deserves. Nice, that so, was so anyway, fucking
1: popular. It already had that thing to audience. get people mm-hmm. into the theater to go see another one mm-hmm. just like it. Oh, my God. I would have seen well, it five times two- probably cuz I I'm sure I'm going to love this when I finally yeah. get a chance to see it. It's coming yeah. to Netflix here pretty soon, the 23rd, I believe. So, I don't have much longer well, to wait. About,
2: 2019 wasn't that different of a year from this one. Yeah. Superhero movies, horror movies were making money and Knives Out out of the blue comes out and makes is like the number 2 movie of the year. Something like that. I mean, at the box office. It made an absolute killing. So, I'm sorry. That's just dumb business. I am not a businessman, but I'm sorry. The heads of Netflix are as dumb as a certain character in this movie. That's all I'm going to say. So... Anyway, Eh. rant over. (laughs) (laughs) But okay, by the time this airs, this is going to be on Netflix. Everyone's going to watch it and see how great it is. So do yourself a favor and sit down and watch this movie. It's too bad that most people didn't get to see this in the theater, though, because it slayed with a big crowd that was into it. And I saw it at like 11.15 in the morning. It wasn't even the biggest crowd of the day. Wow. So anyway.
1: Yeah, this is the one I was talking about that I, I, I had to put See How They Run on the list because I didn't get a chance to see this yet, but it's coming yep. out to now six days.
2: Yeah, that's right. I saw See How They Run uh, like two days after I oh. saw this, <laughs> and I'm sorry, they just didn't compare, and I like See How They Run. Don't get me wrong, but this movie to me just ruled. I okay. thought it was so much fun, I am- endlessly fun, and that's it's probably the most fun movie with the exception maybe of unbearable weight of massive talents yeah. that I saw this year.
1: Ah, I can't wait. Okay.
2: And obviously Ryan Johnson just keeps getting better at these mystery things. Cause I saw brick this year too. And I was like, yeah. wow, he started out pretty strong.
1: <laughs> then brick he gets awesome. to hear,
2: you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's great.
1: I swear to God, if he makes a new kind of like adult murder mystery thing like yeah. this every year for the rest of our lives, oh. I would fucking love that so much like I said. That's and like he my would favorite make a thing.
2: Zillion dollars. Yeah, because yeah. people will go see them. Because I mean, we don't get a lot of those ben, kinds of movies
1: anymore. Yeah. yeah,
2: I find Daniel Craig as Benoit Blanc more compelling than Daniel Craig as James Bond, and I love <laughs> Daniel Craig as James Bond. Because I mean, by this movie, the things they're starting to reveal about him are so interesting, and Daniel Craig is so into it. It's fantastic. I I love it. You get to see a little bit more of his private life okay. in this movie. And I love it. It's so good. Okay.
1: Okay. Stop. You're making number me four jealous. That I haven't got to see it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Next moving on.
2: Maybe that should be my number one. I've been more excited <laughs> to talk about that than anything else I've <laughs> talked about yet. So anyway, uh,
1: number four is one that I kind of knew that I was probably going to like when I knew what it was about from Ty West.
2: Talking about X. It's in my honorable mentions. Nice.
1: First of all, how freaking cool is it that not only do we get more Ty West movies, which he's been kind of missing for a little bit? uh, I talked about. It's
2: funny. We talked about that when you talked about the Valley of Violence last year. I mentioned You you really, literally said Ty West, come back. We miss you. (laughs) And then this year he comes out with not one, two, but Two two. And with the third one on the way. Yeah.
1: So, like, I mean, how cool is it that not only do we get another Ty West movie and we get a really cool movie, but in the same year, we get another movie within what's going to be now, like, a little franchise series of that trilogy. I don't know. Has that ever happened before? I don't care. That's really cool. But as much as I I did like Pearl, it's one that's probably going to have to grow on me a little bit more. X was just more my thing. So... That's why I'm kind of having to choose between the two. If I had to, I'm Mm going to go with X every time.
2: What's funny for me, and if I can just interject for a second, I'll let you talk about X in a second. While I was in the theater, I felt like I liked X more. But I have found myself in the months since thinking about Pearl more. Hmm. It's like Pearl kind of got under my skin more without me realizing it. And X was like, yeah, that was fun. That was really cool. And I like to see where this goes. I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes with Maxine. Mm -hmm. Pearl, it was like so unexpected to me to go, why does my mind keep coming back to this movie? I can't really explain it. But I like them both. (laughs) And honestly, Pearl made me want to see X again, which I bought you know the blu-ray so i've got it there to watch i just haven't had a chance to throw it on again yet but i will
1: yeah that's kind of what i was mean with pearl like i i I liked it but it's probably one i'm just gonna have to sit with and probably watch again and think about a little bit more Uh i had not really got a chance to do that since i saw it in the theater but i mean x i loved right off the bat i had people telling me that it was one that i was probably gonna love because one it takes place in the 70s and it's about people making a porn movie so i was like yeah yeah that's me okay cool and I know everyone was into Mia Goth so much for this and for Pearl, but uh, and she rules. I love her, but I absolutely loved Brittany Snow in this movie. Yeah. She, she's she's the she's the she star. She is in this the movie. freaking yeah. star of X, I'm telling you. And yeah. Yeah, um, she is. What I think is really cool about hers as an actress, I was so happy to see her do a role like this for one thing, because I always knew that she could. Because I think with the thing with her is that she kind of has that, like, all-American look to her. So I mm-hmm. it's like she would she would be typecast because of her look. You know, blonde hair, you know, pretty girl. I've seen her in other stuff where I've seen that she can do so much more. And she really shows it off in this. Like, she can really, like, go there and create a character. Um, she was great. I don't think you've seen Nip-Tuck. Her character in Nip-Tuck is just wild, completely I've seen all, I've seen all of Nip-Tuck. Okay. Yeah. I can remember if you had or not.
2: The Last Trime... Ryan Murphy was good. Yeah, I've seen it. <laughs>
1: I know, right? I'm
2: kidding. I actually kind of liked Feud. I didn't watch that one. I had written a piece on Baby Jane, and he got some of it right. Okay. <laughs> anyway, go ahead.
1: Yeah, she's in an amazing episode of Law & Order SVU. It also stars Norman Reedus, by the way. So, uh-huh. um, so yeah, she was the star of this for me. And it's a very fun setup like, with all the characters. They're kind of going to some place in rural rural Texas again uh comes up on my list. Um they rent, I guess, a little farmhouse from this older couple to go and secretly make a porn movie there. Called The Farmer's Daughter. Which <laughs> I like how one of the extras on the disc was they kind of they spliced it together to where you could actually watch the you farmer's daughter it. Okay. movie. I was like, I wish there were they, I think they added a little bit more if I recall. But I would have liked to see, like, the full movie of that, you know, version, you know what I mean. The actual hardcore version. You know what I mean, and I think you do. Yeah. No. <laughs> hey,
2: know what I mean, know what I mean, know what I mean.
1: I mean, I liked it for that element of it, the slasher part of it. I liked the themes that it was kind of going for. That It's another one I kind of have to – I want to watch again and, like, really, really think about how, how I feel about it. Because I definitely got that, um, especially with the, the older couple with Pearl – And what the hell is this guy's name? Howard. It's all about, you know, jealousy of youth and desirability and losing your desirability Mm -hmm. and uh, sexual self-confidence from both of them, from the younger and the older people, fearing losing that. So um, I I definitely got what they were going for. And I I just really want to watch it and like really focus on now having seen Pearl. I I do want to watch it again and kind of more focus on that part of the story.
2: I, I saw this movie mostly in a theater alone but there were a couple of i don't know teenagers or 20 somethings that Mm -hmm. were in there and i tell you what when howard and pearl start having sex making love (laughs) while she's under well maxine's under the bed they clearly got uncomfortable let's put it that way
1: i believe that was the point
2: (laughs) that was the point yeah (laughs) yeah It was almost like when I saw The Northman, (laughs) because you you don't see that in in movies where Mm -hmm. older people who are in love and have been married for a long, 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 long time, like 50 years, you know, express themselves physically. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't happen. And I think that Ty West was willing to go there was really interesting. That I think is probably the most powerful, one of the most powerful things about the movie is sort of, This expression of sexuality in age, I thought was, you know, the sort of the crossing between the two ages, you know, like when Howard and the, and the, I can't remember the character's name, the guy who was in the Marines and he's out there, he's, and he's naked and you can kind of see things in the shadows and it's like, oh my gosh. And so Howard is just like, oh man, Uh. I'm not this guy. At first, you think there's it's really kind of a racial thing, but it's not. No. it's That's one of the things I like about it, too. It's more of a youth and age thing, mm-hmm. and I, I like that so much more. I think that's so much more interesting in a movie like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot going on beyond the slasher yeah. element of this. In fact, I actually kind of found the slasher element. One it's a of little the least interesting things yeah. about it. It's yeah, a it's, to main it's story. Yeah, whereas it's really about the key player, the young people, and then this older couple, and how they interact and how they see each other, and the fact that Pearl's jealousy expresses itself the way it does is just sort of a byproduct of that, yeah. and that that's much more interesting. Yeah. than it just being a straight slasher. People have called this, you know, Boogie Nights meets the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, <laughs> which is not the worst way yeah. to put it. Uh, it's, that kind of it's, works. It's, I feel it. Yeah. And there's some moments of real suspense here, like where uh, Maxine is in this lake and you see the crocodile coming toward yes. her. Yes. And you're like, sure, that something is going to happen with that crocodile. But it's it sort of becomes like a Chekhov's gun kind of, thing where you know you show the crocodile early in the first act you better use it in the third right um well that's what happens right
1: and i'm glad the crocodile came back
2: and the crocodile came back in pearl (laughs) Pearl. yeah (laughs) yeah i mean and what's funny is whenever you talk about one of them you talk about the other one now they're so completely linked and I can't wait to see how it plays I cannot with Maxine. Wait for Maxine. And I love the story behind what happened. You know, they wrote Pearl. Uh, X had already been written. They had found a location in New Zealand and they had to quarantine for two weeks because of COVID. So Ty West wrote Pearl.
0: Yeah, I know.
2: While they were waiting. <laughs> And I think I think through like phone conversations or Zoom conversations with Mia Goth, they sort of created this scenario for the prequel, and, and they're like, "Hey,
1: let's let's shoot this thing." <laughs> and they just shot it, and they just shot it when
2: when everyone else rapped. I think that is so good, and it's amazing the fact that Mia Goth plays two characters in. It X, took
1: me months to uh, realize that she was Pearl. Yeah, in X.
2: <laughs> yeah, the makeup. I mean, for a low budget movie, the makeup is so good. I mean, uh-huh. it's like I had a feeling it was makeup. But yeah, because I, it I looks it's very old. Yeah, I didn't but realize it was Mia Goth though. I, but I didn't realize it was Mia Goth, and mm-hmm. so and I'm not that familiar with Mia Goth outside of these movies. Nope, neither. Yeah, Nope is not on my list. So. <laughs> I like Nope, but it's not on my
1: list. Nah, mine either. Yeah, I, I just I love Ty West. He always yeah. I'm you fairly never, new to him too. You never. Yeah. Get what you're expecting from him in the best way. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what, I, what yeah. I like. He's got a very unique voice. Yep. And all of these movies, I think, are going to be another example of that. I, I kind of have a, a feeling and I've hyped myself up for what Maxine could possibly be. But like I said, knowing him, it could be something totally different. But I'm in for it. It could be. I'm in for whatever he wants to do. And I want to see this character after what happens here. You know, I want to see what's going yeah. on with this character, what where she goes.
2: Sure. The idea of the possibility of a serial killer in the uh, 80s porn world I know. I know. in Hollywood sounds I got, pretty intriguing. God,
1: I hope that's what it is. I know, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the sense that they're giving. But we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. And, you know, uh, Ty West is a director that I've seen three of his movies. I've seen Pearl X and the sacrament and that's it i haven't seen house of the devil i haven't Uh, seen the innkeepers you haven't seen my Uh, favorite one
1: the innkeepers is fucking rad you would love it
2: i know martin scorsese talked about how much he loved the innkeepers so i i'm like i gotta catch up with the stuff i've missed um so i will be doing that and you know in a valley of violence i went to turn that on one day but i didn't i can't remember why it was just one of those things it happens don't be mad i'm not offended not much okay good good not much so, my number four was a big surprise. I watched something on Netflix and it ended, and there was a preview for this movie. And I was like, oh, I like movies about filmmakers. And I had just watched one called Sydney that was very disappointing about Sydney Poitier that I thought was very run of the mill. Uh, It's not a bad movie, but it's just kind of what you expect when you watch a movie about an actor or a filmmaker. It's a bio-documentary with a lot of talking heads that is just, like, fine. This was something very different. It took me by surprise. Uh, Directed by Chris Smith, starring Robert Downey Jr. and Sr. It's a documentary called Senior. And Robert Downey Sr., is one of the weirdest, wildest, craziest filmmakers there has ever been. Uh, his movies are weird. If you've ever seen Putney Swope, that's probably his best-known movie. Greaser's Paradise is one I haven't seen yet, but after seeing this, is like I got to see that. that movie. I don't know if I'll like it, but I got to see it. So Robert Downey Sr. is sort of the subject of of this, and there's a little bit of his filmography, you know, his biography in this. But Robert Downey Jr. sort of sets about to create this documentary about his father with the help of the director, Chris Smith. But Sr. decides he wants to make his own at the same time. So <laughs> you have these sort of two different visions of this happening at the same time. But it becomes about the interactions between generations, between Jr. and Sr. and uh, Jr.'s kids and just Them sort of avoiding talking about each other's issues with each other while you are grappling with them yourself (laughs) uh, through the whole movie. It is unlike any other showbiz documentary I've ever seen. Again, watch this during this time. I wanted to be emotionally moved. This one did it. This one hit me so unexpectedly. I think I watched it on the first day it was on Netflix. I hadn't even heard of it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to just watch this thing. I don't know what else to say about it. It's just kind of one you have to watch and experience to really get it. Because you can't describe it a lot like a lot of seniors movies. You can't really just get in there and describe what this is. Um, a lot of people know who Robert Downey Jr. is. He's kind of taking his Iron Man money and he's doing stuff like this. If that's what he's going to do with that Iron Man money, praise be to God because this is amazing, just so powerful. Just go see this. Okay. It's on Netflix. It's easily available to watch.
1: I am not that familiar with seniors' movies, so I, I neither really am I. Know I I've much only. About s-
2: i've only seen putney swope i only heard about putney swope because of paul thomas anderson on the boogie nights commentary talking about how they <laughs> named buck swope after putney swope yeah.
1: but yeah the way that I, i've heard you and other people describe it like exactly the same way is that that it'll hit you like a ton of bricks probably <laughs> emotionally yeah. so i i'm into that i'll have to wait maybe wait for a night when i'm Ready for a good cry or something?
2: It didn't make me cry exactly. I mean, it made me feel, but it didn't. It's very funny, too. Okay. It's It's got a lot of really uplifting elements to it. So it's not just gonna like rip your guts out and leave you devastated necessarily. I know uh, Elric Kane, you know who <laughs> tends to come up a lot on the show because he gives a lot of great recommendations. But he he talked about this, mm-hmm. um, and I actually watched it before I even knew he watched it. So this isn't exactly a recommendation from him, but uh, he's openly talked about how he lost his father when he was young, and so I think this hit him in a way that did sort of emotionally gut him. And I think it will for some people, but I think it's one of those movies that's going to be a lot of different things for a lot of different people, which is what great films should be. It shouldn't tell you how to feel. It should just show it and let the people on screen feel how they feel or not feel. And that's one of the things about this is they are spending so much of the time suppressing and not talking about how they feel about things that you're like damn it just talk to each other for christ's sake you know mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and there's a certain discomfort in some of it as well because of that but up there with like de palma yeah. Hal, and some of those kinds of documentaries that have come out I this is one of them yeah. yeah this is a showbiz documentary on that level it's very different from that but it's on that level yeah. it's really really excellent very interesting
1: uh number three okay now we can go back to the one that you brought up earlier okay my number three is barbarian so another one where it's like i strongly strongly recommend do not look up anything about this movie before you go to see it if you haven't already going completely blind that's the way to watch this movie and that's why it, it was my favorite horror movie of the year all I knew about it was that it was called Barbarian, and the people said it was really scary, and it was something about an Airbnb. That's it.
2: Yep. Okay, moving on. Just kidding.
1: No, no. We got to talk about it a little bit. We just can't say anything <laughs> right. about the plot. Right. Uh, watching this movie um, unfold was just like, definitely did not go. I, I, had, I had no thoughts about no, where it I might no possibly go. go. Um, and so, like, every little turn that it made, had no idea what was happening, um, but just Loving every second of this. This is such a cool movie. And especially like the way that it was done. The way that it kinda goes between time periods was very clever and interesting. And I like how the setup is kind of a red herring in itself too, it because is. it's oh um, totally is. It stars uh, Georgina Campbell um, as Tess. She's staying in Detroit for a job interview, and she gets this little um, Airbnb house that's like the nicest house on this entire block, which is so fucking creepy yeah. to begin with. Uh, but when she gets there, there's already somebody staying there, like the the house has been double booked, and. It's Bill Skarsgård, which, you know, that's a, that's a huge red flag right there. It's like, oh, so he's, yeah. so he's a bad guy, right? He's, he's the bad guy, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh. It's one of those things.
2: It's like seeing Wes Bentley in P2, right? Right.
1: <laughs> that's pretty much the only setup I want to give is that. Yeah there's a double booked airbnb they decide you know there's nowhere else you know for her to go it's the middle of night it's raining she's gonna stay there anyway and then things get fucking bonkers beyond belief so I, yeah, I what gotta, do you want to say I about say, it?
2: <laughs> I think people know that Justin Long is in this movie. So
1: <laughs> the funniest the scene first... in, the, in the whole movie, <laughs> in the whole of the whole year, it's Justin Long with the tape measure. <laughs> Justin Long with the tape measure,
2: exactly. Yeah. Again, I talked about this one over on Pod the Pendulum as well because this turned out to be my second favorite horror movie of the year. And you said it was your favorite uh, before. It was my favorite for a real long time. Uh, That might give you a hint as to what's coming. No. Okay, well, good. Until this week, it was my number one. So this is such a surprising movie. And I think when it gets to the part where you first see Justin Long, you're like, did they like, switch reels accidentally on us here (laughs) yeah is this from another movie yeah it's so what the hell is going on it's like is this going to relate to what we've been spending our time doing because it's a completely different location completely different vibe Uh and you're just like what the hell is going on and it's got a lot of sort of sam raimi influence in a good way yeah uh in a great way actually it's got sort of an iconic monster Sort of an instantly iconic monster that's not really a monster, maybe or maybe not. It's hard to say. It's no. so fascinating how this is all done, and there's comments on all kinds of things going on. And yeah. I don't want to no. say much you can't more really than say. that. <laughs> there's so much to dig into with this movie. And hey, it was one of Disney's biggest hits of the year. <laughs> I love that fact. I oh, know, yeah, right? That okay. So Hulu is owned by Disney, right? Hulu released Prey. Disney released Barbarian into theaters, made a killing. Hulu also released Hellraiser. So yep. technically, <laughs> technically speaking, Hellraiser Disney Pinhead.
1: Disney.
2: <laughs> Pinhead is a Disney princess. There we go. Yay! Yay! Um, I love that idea. And the mother's a Disney princess too. Oh, I'm going to call her stop. that. yeah i went into this blind not knowing a thing i think mike Snoodian had said uh just go see it don't look anything up about it just go see barbarian yep it's good you'll like it it's fun (laughs) uh so i did and i'm glad i I got to see this in a theatrical experience as well because when you're just sort of captured by a movie like you don't have anywhere to go uh your phone's turned off it's put away no distractions no distractions you can't get up and go to the bathroom yeah. without missing something. Honestly, I think I'm I'm slowly sort of able to articulate why I think the theatrical experience is important. For me, that's a big one. Part of it is because I'm just so damn distracted at home. Yeah, I can pause it. I can change the tension. I have control. Whereas in a movie theater, I don't have control. And I think that makes movies more effective. I definitely uh, agree for me. with that. And, you know, I know people say, if I want to have the theatrical experience, I can hire a bunch of teenagers to talk loud and play on their phones and spill food all over my floor. But that's not really what I mean when I talk about it. And yes, we all have had good and bad theatrical experiences. But I think for me, they're more good than bad. And this is an example of a really good one. Yeah. Uh, so even The Northman was a good one, even though I sort of whined about that earlier. I just would hate to see the theatrical experience die. And this is one of those movies. That's why, because when you get a group of people that are into this movie, they're laughing along with it. They're scared along with it. And that is one of the things, this is genuinely funny, genuinely scary. Mm -hmm. Uh, This one had me hiding my eyes at times, which I haven't done since I was a kid, you know, where I put my hands over my fingers and I'm sort of peeking through just more fun this is why I go to horror movies, right?
0: Yeah.
2: to get that roller coaster thrill. Huh. Um, there are lots of reasons to go to horror movies, but that's one of the big ones is just having that roller coaster ride.
1: I will say, yes, I've said that I sometimes I don't particularly enjoy the theatrical experience, but that is a big reason why I need it sometimes is because there are some nights where, I will turn on a movie even if it's a movie that I'm excited to see that it takes me hours to watch it because I'm, I'm pausing yeah. or I get up and I do something else and I, I get distracted and I don't put all my focus on the movie. Yeah. And I'm glad that... My problem is I fall
2: asleep. I'm too comfortable. Right.
1: And I'm I'm, old. This is the kind of movie, yeah, where that definitely works, where you need to have that tension held or let go at some point where, you know, kind of like something happens and then it switches to the Justin Long thing and you're like, wait, what? And then it like, it goes again. I think the big strength of the movie is how the story plays out like that and the way that it keeps surprising you so it is definitely the best way to watch it like completely uninterrupted um and it does go like pretty dark and disturbing and Mm -hmm. brutal Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. yes it is also very funny at times even within the the dark and disturbing parts like there's one part that i i wish i could say but maybe we'll say it off mic that i just found brutal but hilarious at the same time it's such a cool movie. It's so interesting. I I loved what it did. I, I can't wait to watch it again. Yeah. Richard Brake also. Don't yeah. want to say what his role R- is, but... <laughs> Richard Brake is terrifying. Yes. Yeah. Go see this one.
2: Yes, definitely.
1: So we're on your number three, right?
2: Yeah, my number three I avoided for weeks. I was going to see it, and then something came up. And then I was going to see it the next week, and something came up. Or I didn't feel like it. And then... Finally, I was like, oh hell, I'll just go see this. And it was something I didn't expect to like. Bones and all. This movie was a real surprise for me. Because it is based on YA material, which is fine, but the movie is not that. The setup of it is pretty much laid out in the trailer, which this girl goes to a sleepover. She is talking with a friend underneath like a glass coffee table it's really well shot the whole movie and she shows her her nail polish and the lead character bites her finger off okay <laughs> just out of the blue bites her finger off runs back home blood all over herself she gets home and you know before that she is snuck out the window she'd use a screwdriver to sneak out because her door is locked by her father from the outside and it turns out that this is a hereditary condition that she has. Her, that the where, one in that which bit the fingers
1: she, doing this? The one that bit the finger. Okay, up. I was yeah. like, wait, okay. Yeah.
2: This is a hereditary condition in which uh, she is compelled to eat human flesh. Okay. So she's given three minutes to pack and leave. And her father says, here's a tape that is everything that I know that I can tell you. And so it's the way it's paced is really interesting because it kind of goes back and forth between her on the move in the early parts, at least on the move and uh, listening to this tape of her father telling her this history that she's had. She's had incidents with it since she was like three years old. So the first person that she runs into is played by Mark Rylance. His name is Sully and one of the most unnerving performances you will ever see creepy maybe villain maybe not kind of character who sort of teaches her the basics at first but she doesn't feel comfortable so she moves on and I have heretofore been uh, unmoved by the charms of T- Timothy Chalamet but he's really terrific in this movie as Lee who is another eater and um, they start this romance And it becomes a little bit like Terrence Malick's Badlands, where you have this couple, this young couple that is deeply in love traveling across the country. It doesn't show a lot of them like holding people up and stuff like that, but you know that's what's happening. They just happen, instead of shooting them, they're eating them. It doesn't show a lot of that, though. It's So that's why I think it's described as being barely a horror movie, which is fine, I'm okay with that it's just a surprisingly powerful film and this has been we talked about this being sort of the year of horror monologues between Mia Goth (laughs) and uh, Rebecca Hall in Resurrection has a great one well Timothee Chalamet has a really fantastic one in this as well but uh, one of the things I really like about this movie is uh, so much of not just horror films but cinema in general that is not a superhero movie. Even superhero movies feel this way to me. They feel very confined. They feel like they take place in a few rooms, on a few sets, in a few places. But this one is outdoors. It's traveling. It has that feel of driving across the country. It has sort of a, like I said, Badlands feel to it. And it is just beautifully shot. The landscapes and the the Americana of it all. But again, though it's a sprawling epic, it's just mostly about these two lost souls that have found each other rather than being trauma horror. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, we've seen a lot of trauma horror over the past 10 years or so. This one is more like something like cat people or even Frankenstein or the wolf man where it's the outcast Mm -hmm. horror and you feel for the outcast and you are with the outsider, and you're not fearful of them, you come to understand them, and even deeply empathize with them. And they're not villains, even though they do these kind of frightening things. Again, that emotional gutting that happens sometimes in a really great movie. The big controversy this week on Twitter is that Variety put this on their worst of the year list. That's and not people, what I've been
1: hearing from other people. Everybody, literally ex- everybody else has seen it.
2: Exactly. <laughs> That's crazy. Exactly. The thing is, I didn't expect to like this movie. I saw the trailer and I went, I don't want to see that. I, I just don't think that looks like my thing. But then something about it was like, I should see it. And the fact that it ended up being my number one favorite horror movie of the year, my number three movie overall, is saying something and I, I would be remiss to not mention the star of this movie, the breakout performance of this movie is Taylor Russell as Marin, the, the lead character. She previously had been in the escape room movies. Oh
1: yeah. yeah. Which those. are fun and ah, fine. Those are fine. Those, I those.
2: Yeah, I have a good time with those, but here I it's just so unexpected. There's a scene where she visits her mother that will just devastate you. And it's kind of even a scary scene in a movie that is not really about scares, but it's really, really great. Uh, David Gordon Green has a very weird cameo in this movie that is super interesting, super compelling. There are these people that are compelled to eat, and then there are people that learn to eat. Ah, so it is okay. <laughs> It is really, really dark stuff. Yeah. And it is just a fascinating movie. There's a lot of queer subtext, but it can be seen in a lot of different ways. I mean, any kind of outcast horror can be seen through many different lenses. Sure. So I think this is a movie that a lot of people might connect with. I was blown away by it. Just beautifully told and beautifully made. And you drug your feet on seeing it.
1: Look at that. Oh, <laughs> <No>. I absolutely <laughs> do. For like three or four weeks. yeah. Yeah. So I haven't gotten a chance to see this one yet, but it is like the newest big talk of film, Twitter or whatever that I've seen. Uh, the, I've been seeing a lot of stuff about this one. Um, I went to go watch it. It's still $20 to rent. So I yeah, hasn't it quite pulled trigger yet. But yeah, now I'm even more. Which
2: is why I haven't seen Tar yet. Uh, you know, Tar yeah. may well have been on my list too. Who knows?
1: But I did, yeah, I didn't really know what uh, it was about, but that's definitely... Uh, an intriguing premise so I'm, I'm, I'm into it I'll see it as soon as I get the chance.
2: Yeah please do please do and I I wa- I, I really want people to give this a chance and not go in expecting because one of the things that was said in this variety article was ridiculous was that it was just a twilight thing. How I like it <laughs> there's nothing about this that screams glittery vampires to me okay This is a movie of real grit, real darkness in the world whereas those movies in my opinion one of the reasons I don't love them is they sort of gloss over all that stuff they kind of make everything is sort of got a sheen to it this is like this world is a hard hard place but somehow we make it through and a lot of that is thanks to various kinds of relationships that we have And I think that is a really compelling element of this movie. So it it very much has a Terrence Malick feel to it, a very 70s feel to it. It takes place in the um, late 80s, which I hate 80s nostalgia. Can't stand it. This is the first movie that I've seen that doesn't make a big deal about this fact that it's set in the 80s. And it actually feels like the 80s really felt to me. You know, people don't have posters of the thing all over their walls and they're not listening to the stuff that no one listened to, but is now cult favorite (laughs) stuff. Now it just felt like reality to me. It did. And you know, the way people dress feels very natural. It doesn't feel like, Oh, look, I found this cool t-shirt, you know, that's got this uh, underground cult thing. That's really popular now on it. Um, You know, it's not any of that. And so it just feels very authentic to what that era was i i just don't like 80s nostalgia but i loved this and it's not what some seem to be making it out to be okay
1: so awesome Very yeah. excited for that one now rant
2: number two, two. over i three. know
1: right you're on a roll today. three i've done i've
2: done three <laughs> i did one on so so turning red uh <laughs> bones and all and and uh glass onion all had my ranting all but, right um you good now I'm good. Number two.
1: Okay, my number two and number one. It was hard to pick how they should go. All the other movies that I've mentioned thus far have been really fun. I've really enjoyed them. These two movies are the ones that hit me the most emotionally. You're talking about like you have a lot of like emotional connection to the movies on your list. Like these two were right up there for me and i think i'm cool with where they place i mean two one i mean they're both like super high my my favorite movies on the list but number two i am gonna have to go with uh, three thousand years of longing my name is Alethea. my story is true i am
0: a solitary creature by nature i have no children no siblings no parents I did once have a husband. If there is fate, who can say? But in the Grand Bazaar of Istanbul, I chose a memento. I like it. Whatever it is, I'm sure it has an interesting story. So, what would you wish for? What is your heart's desire? I do have a question. What does one do with three wishes? You'll see. There's no story about wishing that is not a cautionary tale. We all have desires, even if they remain hidden from us. But it is your story,
2: and I cannot wait to see where it goes.
0: Oh how it might
1: end.
2: So your number one, your number one is my number two.
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah. We already knew yeah. that though. I I kind of okay. already gave that away before. Um, this movie, like, really surprised me. I think it surprised everybody. It was kind of like, wait, what? George mm. Miller, uh, he of Mad Max fame, like, suddenly comes up with this movie about a gym? This movie uh. is
2: also on the Variety Worst of the Year list.
1: Fuck them. Oh, which, my God. Which Are is you exactly
2: kidding me? why film Twitter has been decrying that thing. And I haven't even been uh, on Twitter that no, much, but, no, like, I, every tweet is like, fuck this. This is, this, this is stupid. I... Yeah. I cannot no, agree with that no. at all.
1: No, this movie is amazing. And I amazing. haven't seen it yet, but I'm done. Um, and to. yes, you still need yeah, to okay. watch it. Yes. Okay. Like I said, it's directed by um, George Miller based on a short story called mm-hmm. The Jin in the Nightingale's Eye by AS Byatt, I don't know that is, but that is its origin. So it stars uh, Tilda Swinton as Althea Benny. She's a scholar, professor kind of mostly focused on I mean it's it's pretty obvious like this is what the movie is about she's uh, she studies like stories and, and storytelling and kind of like the the ancient like art and you know practice of storytelling like throughout the ages that kind of thing it's kind of implied in one of the scenes where she's doing a lecture with another colleague of hers that she it's kind of implied that she has like these weird like hallucinations or something going on so that could be a part of the story i don't know that it only comes up once really but anyway, she's, um, she's on a trip in Istanbul, and so there, she and her friend are at a little shop. She's picking out, like, a souvenir that she wants to take home with her, and she takes home, like, this little bottle. And when she's back in her hotel room alone, like, there's a whole thing where she tries to clean it off or whatever. And so she's rubbing it under the faucet and she unleashes the gin that is uh, trapped inside the bottle. The gin um, is Idris Elba. Yes. Which is amazing. (laughs) Love Idris Elba. (laughs) So fucking amazing. He's awesome. He's so good in this. It's kind of funny, like, when he's first released, he's Mm -hmm. enormous. He first comes out of the bottle, like his body takes up the entire hotel room, like bedroom that they're in. It, the, the effects, the setting, the costumes, the sets in this movie, like I'll talk about that more in a little bit. But when that happened, like I knew this was going to be something a little bit different than what I thought it was. I was like, okay, he, th- this is really going out there in terms of like the fantasy element. And I absolutely loved it. So obviously, like he comes out of the bottle, he's a gin. So he. You know, offers her the three wishes and everything, but. You know, being who she is, being a scholar on, you know, storytelling, like she knows this. She knows that stories about wishes never really turn out good for the person making the wishes, you know, and she accuses the djinn of being a trickster. And so she's very reluctant to make any wishes because it's always a morality tale, you know, all those like monkey's paw type stories and everything. They never turn out right, right? That's right. Mm -hmm. So instead, he decides to tell her stories of... How he got trapped in the bottle, and it's like these. Uh, obviously, you know, it's called Three Thousand Years of Longing. Obviously, he he goes back, you know, thousands and thousands of years. The first story he tells is um, his relationship with the Queen of Sheba. Cool, like the yeah. literal Queen of Sheba, <laughs> and it's just it's different time periods. Um, one is about the Queen of Sheba. The next one is about I don't I'm not sure the the year, but uh, it's about a uh, of the of the people that have owned. Or, like, you know, been, like, the master, sure. his master or whatever. They don't really say what it's called. The people that he's come in contact with that have, you know, been the ones to make the wishes. It's the stories of him how he ge- keeps getting trapped in the bottle several times and how he finally ended up, you know, in Alathea's hands. First one's a queen of Shida. The next one is a young concubine named Goulton. Um And then it's, like, another prince and his, his brothers. And it was kind of funny is that, like, that story... It's about like a mother who is afraid that her son is going to be murdered because, you know, he's he's next in line or something. So he's locked in a room and just kind of left to indulge any way that he can. And he develops a a love of very voluptuous women that become his concubines. And one of them, uh, her name is Sugar Lump. Is uh, the next <laughs> the next ones to to find the bottle, uh, but she just immediately is like, "No, you're a trickster," and like um, wishes him, you know, back into the bottle. And there was one bit that I really enjoyed where. After that, he's like stuck in the bottle, like underneath some concrete or whatever. Um, But he's, I don't know, like somehow it's like he's a ghost and he spends like about a hundred years, he says, just kind of wandering about the palace like nobody is able to see him or hear him until, you know, he's found again. The last story is him and this um, woman who's the wife, it seems like she's like the prisoner wife of this um, gross old, like, uh, Turkish merchant guy, Um, her name is Zephyr, and all these stories are about, like, how fond he grows of each woman that, you know, that he comes in contact with and meets, and what kind of affection and the connection that he makes with each one of them, and how, you know, he always ends up back in the bottle Mm -hmm. at the end, and never really works out right. And uh, Alethea's character is very much kind of a-, a loner. She's into like her her job, and but doesn't really seem to have too much of a social life. She has friends and everything. I very much relate to and, and love stories uh, about loneliness and about you know longing for uh, something more, and that's what this movie ends up becoming at the end. It just really kind of devastating because uh, Alethea does eventually make the wish. You know for them to fall in love uh which is kind of it seems like it's that's not a good way you know forcing right. somebody to mm-hmm. to be in love with you but i mean there is a genuine connection between the two of them it kind of goes from there it's very much about like you know wanting to to find your person and and be loved in return but it's got a good message that it has to be organic and it can't be mm-hmm. selfish and that's how it ends up at the end and it did make me cry a little bit at the end because <laughs> that's just how it was but um for one thing too that this movie is absolutely freaking gorgeous oh, sure. yeah. to look at like i was talking about like i mentioned earlier all these different times it's all like you know palaces and and, and concubines and you know, <laughs> all this like uh the costuming even on the extras, like I would be watching a scene like didn't last very long if it was like a big party scene or whatever taking place in a palace like hundreds and thousands of years ago. Even every costume, like even on the people in the background was just like so elaborate and beautiful. And it's a, it's a visually stunning movie to watch. There's just like so much to look at. And I, that really surprised me, too. I kind of wasn't expecting it to be that much. It's just mm-hmm. it's beautiful and colorful, and also has this amazing emotional element to it that I, you know, definitely related to and and, and felt very deeply. So uh, this one really got to me, and I I think you'll like this one too
2: a lot. Yeah, I'm sure I will. I don't have much more I can say about it because uh, <laughs> I haven't seen it, obviously. So, but yeah, uh, George Miller. I mean. A lot of people are like, "Oh, the Mad Max guy." Well, he's done a lot of That's
1: stuff. What I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> he's
2: done a lot of lot of interesting things outside of that. I love it when he does do stuff outside of mm-hmm. it because it's Didn't always. Did he do surprising. one of the Babe movies? Yeah, he did he, Babe: Pig in the yeah. City, which is a <laughs> brilliant movie. Really, yeah. it's shocking, surprisingly good movie. Uh, I remember that topping. Roger or Gene Siskel's list like the year before he passed away it topped his best of the year list that year I was like really babe Pig in the City and then (laughs) I saw it I was like oh okay (laughs) it's it's such a different movie than the first one too and it's purely visionary that's the thing about uh, George Miller is he's really got a distinct vision Uh, And it's as distinct as as Tim Burton or David Lynch, probably, or Cronenberg, some of these guys that are just kind of off the wall, a little bit odd kinds of look to things, you know, but very distinctive and um, really unique. And I love that in a director that can really go there and express what is in their mind onto film, you know, through their, obviously their collaborations as well, of course. But yeah, so i'm looking forward to that yep okay so my number two it sounds like is probably your number one yeah so it's probably
1: Uh, time to talk about (laughs) both this one at the same time yes
2: sure so everything everywhere all at once hell yeah (laughs) yeah uh so daniel shiner daniel kwan uh like i was talking about with turning red just the elements of family and the parental daughter relationships and letting go and not letting go too much. And there are elements of this movie that just you think it's going to end. And then it's like, Mm -hmm. uh, because most movies, do you know where they end the let me go. Let me go. (laughs) Right. Right? This movie says no. No, because that's not quite right. That's not quite right. You know, it's it's sort of like the open hand, I, I suppose, by the end of it. But this movie, I saw twice, it almost became a victim of its success a little bit because it's become so popular that there has sort of been this inevitable backlash against it, which I don't think is fair because if this had if I this remember. movie had remained sort of a cult hit, it would have been a cult hit forever. Um, but I think now that it that it's in Oscar, talk and that kind of thing sure. people are like it's it's kind of like you know shape of water but this is uh, just a incredibly powerful film about so many things about family and about that idea of letting go and growing up and finding yourself and how that fits <laughs> into who you grew up as you know yeah. uh, and i think that is a really really powerful and the way it's told through this sort of crazy science I fiction <laughs> conceit
1: multiverse things yeah. and parallel dimensions or whatever
2: i finally got yeah, my yeah. wife and daughter to watch this with me yeah just last week and it took a long time and i turned it on and i said let's watch this movie and they were watching it with me and my wife at one point goes brian this movie's really weird and what I heck? said, "I know, I know. Stick with it. Just wait. Just <laughs> wait. I have never been more emotionally moved by rocks in my life.
1: <laughs> I know. Oh my God. No, just rocks sitting there. Just and rocks birds sitting on the there, screen. and words on the screen. Like made me want to cry. Yeah.
2: I know. Obviously, Michelle Yeoh is terrific. Oh my God. But she's always I, terrific. I also want to. I, I. She always is. Yeah. I also got a shout out. Uh, Stephanie Shu as Joy. Is, is amazing. She kills. Is amazing. Kills. <laughs> uh, James Hong, of course, is always wonderful. Jamie Lee Curtis is so funny <laughs> in this. Yeah.
1: How cool was it to see her?
2: I this? know. To see oh, her God. in something so different. So
1: I, weird, but so perfect for her, yeah. her. She does She does it so well.
2: But, of course, the real standout, and I think we know, is, is Kehue Kwan as Waymond.
1: <laughs> Waymond?
2: I mean, this kid... My heart, we we, I know. We all fell in love with this kid as Short Round and as Data in Indiana Jones and in Goonies. But when he- I didn't know that was him. Yeah. (laughs) When he shows up here, he's just so damn good. You know, he left Hollywood behind because it just wasn't producing stuff that was good for Asian actors. And he was like, I'm not going to do this if I can't get good roles. And so- Mm -hmm. Uh, they got him back for this and he just
1: this is a good fucking role for him
2: yeah kills it everyone is given so much to do and it has like i said that you know this crazy dimension jumping plot but it tells this deeply emotional and human yeah. and relatable story so much so that by the end of the movie i kind of wonder if this is like something that just went on in their minds you know, that this is them struggling oh, yeah. with with the this reality that they're facing. Every time I've seen this, I've liked it more. The second time I saw it was kind of hilarious because there's a fake out uh, ending where. <laughs> oh, yeah. Where, the where theater, you're talking about. This. Yeah. Where she dies. <laughs> there's like a good hour left of the movie and credits roll but it's in the theater that these other in another dimension these people are watching a movie well the people yeah. there were two other people in the theater with me they got up and left as soon as those credits started rolling and i was like
1: it was like nothing was even close to being concluded i mean <laughs> seriously no
2: seriously you can't wait 30, like, the, 30 seconds into a credit roll to oh man it was yeah. just like but you know i love all of the all of the sort of weird allusions to Uh, in the mood for love and for ratatouille and uh yeah uh all kinds of things like anyway (laughs) i have been dominating this conversation it's your turn go ahead
1: yes okay so i realized when i thought about like okay what were my favorite movies of the year three thousand years of longing and everything everywhere all at once kind of have this similar thing in common like they're both it seems like they're all about the visuals and the action and everything, which is great in both of them. Like mm-hmm. when I heard that this one didn't have a, much of a budget, I was like, "Are you kidding me?"
2: <laughs> it's amazing what it, they were able it to looks, do with nothing. it. Looks
1: freaking huge. Well, I mean, it looks it, huge.
2: And if when you think about it, it really is one of those movies that only takes place on a couple of locations. It takes place in the yeah. office building, the laundromat, and the theater, and that's about it. Uh-huh. There are a couple other but, little pickup locations, but that's it.
1: But they just really make it – so. I mean, the costumes, especially the one scene with Joy um, in the hallway, like in the yes. office building, like continually changing costumes and everything. Yeah. It's just – it's another one where it's like so stunning and visual to look at, but the real story, yeah, is the that core about – Family. Another thing I think it's about the part that really, really got to me by the end, I think it's also about like empathy. Oh, totally. Uh, yeah. Essentially, just like not judging people or realizing that there is probably more going on, you know, to a person than just what they show on the outside. Because uh, ultimately, like when it comes down to the big message of the movie, when it was just about like just be kind to other people. I was just like, I was, I know that point I was just like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, because I mean, honestly, that's exactly the kind of message that the world needs right now.
2: I know. Just be kind. I mean, isn't that, isn't that just one, when it's like when we were talking about easiest and
1: the hardest thing to do sometimes for people, it seems like, right. It's like when
2: we were talking about midnight mass, the sprawling seven hour epic ultimately comes down to just love each other.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> to be a good person <laughs> yeah. to other yeah. people.
2: Yeah, I, and so, Don't be a dick. <laughs> yeah, I love that about this too. Uh, but some of the stuff that really gets to me is like, how could you have let me go so easily? You know, that was one of the things that was really uh-huh. powerful. And so I'm not going to let Joy just go. Yeah. And the fact that she's named Joy is, means a lot too, I think. I'm not going to let my Joy out of my life.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: There are lots of ways you can read this movie, I think, too.
1: I feel like there's so much more I had to say, but it's just like...
2: Yeah, I mean... I th- just
1: love this movie. This movie is just great. <laughs> I think
2: the husband-wife dynamic is so powerful. Yes. I think the... Whoa, well, per- say
1: the they're the line.
2: In another life, I would have been happy just to do laundry and taxes with you.
1: How freaking perfect is that? Yeah,
2: yeah. Because, I mean, know, so, when they're saying that...
1: the like, simple... It's the simple things that can really just emotionally kill you. And this movie is so good at that.
2: Well, what's so powerful uh, about that scene is in that universe, they are both extremely successful,
0: uh-huh. but they're not yeah. together.
2: That's uh-huh. the in the mood for love references are happening there. <laughs> just the look of that movie is drawn into that scene so beautifully. I haven't seen that. I don't know. <laughs> so. D- they definitely should see in the mood for love. It's okay. a great film. <laughs> But it's funny that you know the Daniels have only made two movies. They made this and Swiss Army Man, which was one of my favorites that I yeah. watched last year. I think it was on my Discoveries list last year or Pandemic Discoveries. I, I list.
1: ended up really really liking that one. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So they're these bizarre ideas that yep. just tell these again just very very relatable stories and sort of universal stories. And the big ideas that go into their stuff makes their movies feel so big. I had sort of talked about this when we talked about Bubba Hotep with Stephen Foxworthy Mm -hmm. on on Disenfranchised where I said this little no-budget movie made by A24 that was sort of became the little movie that could told the multiverse movie that I wanted to see better than the massive budget Spider-Man No Way Home, which I like. I like that movie. And uh, the Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Yeah. Because their ideas in those movies felt so limited in a lot of ways. Whereas here, it's something... That is just very expansive. And I know some people have said, well, it's kind of something that was on Rick and Morty. It's like, okay, well, I haven't seen Rick and Morty, so I don't know. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> this is one of the one of the important things about this, too, is it's telling a story that is very culturally specific to uh, Asian-Americans and sort of the immigrant experience. Um, for Asian American people mm. and sort of the fi- family dynamics and history there. Yeah. But at the same time, and, and a lot like um, Turning Red, but does so in a way that is fully relatable to anybody, you know. I think, mm. I mean, you're putting this at number one you don't have children, but you still are the child of someone. Uh, so you have that <laughs> dynamic, right? Um, yeah. You know, for me as a, as a dad, and Ooh, also like the the
1: yeah. queer side of that too. Absolutely, like her daughter is a lesbian. Mm-hmm. Her daughter's a lesbian. Yeah, and it's and well, not and the,
2: understood by the mother, and and that whole thing where she's like, she's sort of like, well, I, I don't care, but you know, your grandfather, he's from a different time, and then that scene where she says, "This is Joy's girlfriend," and and she's like, "Mom, let me stop it." You know, it's like mm-hmm. too much. You know, just just the, I'm trying to do the right thing, but you're doing it wrong you know uh, it's like mom yeah. i understand what you're trying to do but
1: stop or when she's like it
2: still bothers you that in this world i like
1: girls like yeah come on well yeah. but
2: but then i love the stuff at the end where she says all right you need to grow your hair <laughs> at the end <laughs> it's so funny because she hasn't fully changed i mean she's accepted this yeah but she's still who she is that's you what know, I kind of liked about it I, I, it's not a complete yeah.
1: 180 but it's, no. it's it's a continual growth which is what exactly it's it's more more real
2: and, and just the sadness where you know they're going into this whole office building with with Waymond having that petition for divorce in his uh-huh. fanny pack It's just like oh it, it''s, fanny it's, it's oh. It, the fanny pack is brilliant <laughs> it's like great here do something weird and then she what's great you know she falls in love with alpha Raymond. Who is her husband? It's who he mm-hmm. is, at the core. It's the, they're the same person, and so I think that realization is really. Which is what one of the things that makes me think this is this could all be interpreted as just this is a dream she had, and this is her subconscious working out all this stuff yeah. that she's dealing with.
1: That's very possible,
2: you know. But then you can totally read it as they're actually jumping universes, and that's totally great too, totally yeah. valid as well, and. I just love that they have these massive swings. And, you know, I know the Daniels were, based on the success of this movie, uh, were signed with Universal. So I'm just like, please do not let a big studio gut these guys. Mm -hmm. Let them do their thing. Because that's what we want. This is what people want, is this. And I'm hoping that they let them do that to really do some interesting movies like these still. And just have the backing behind them. Just have that money behind them. And Universal is better about that than some other studios are. There's not the big old, you know, Kevin Feige, the whole universe of uh, Marvel has to look like this kind of thing going on. It's some. So I really am pulling for them to be able to produce more like this with just more resources at their disposal
1: because what they did with this is just amazing enough because as much as you know the the emotional stuff is what probably really gets to you the multiverse stuff is so fucking funny and entertaining oh gosh yeah, all the way through like all the weird stuff they have to do like (laughs) especially in the office when he's like trying to give himself paper cuts and stuff like that i can't look at that
2: part i just i, I, I just kind of got cringe when he does that it was eating the I chapstick know. and yeah eating the chewed <laughs> or, gum the thing, and...
1: the thing where he's trying to <laughs> it looks like a tilt over the butt, plugs. <laughs> a butt plug the butt plug <laughs> it's like oh my god so many just amazing little, little stuff like that it's it's entertaining all the way through again it's visually stunning um god that one shot of michelle yo and it's I can't really describe it. It's just like the the background changes and everything, and it's like everything that you've seen so far in the movie. It's just, uh it's yeah. a beautiful, awesome little movie and it's freaking hilarious it yeah. goes kind of fast like at the beginning like i was having a hard time like catching on to it because it's just their regular life like in the laundromat and everything and there's like so much you have to like, get about yep. their life and you know who they are and the dynamics and the family yeah. and everything but it's also still really entertaining you get in the and in the googly eyes is just the cutest fucking thing it's so ever. fun oh um, <laughs> i love that so much that's why I like the googly eyes and, on the rocks and everything. Oh, okay. yeah, I, I, mean, I think most it's...
2: people listening to this show have probably already seen this movie. Right. Uh, but
1: <laughs> I even had that thing where I was like, is this too popular to be, like, my favorite right. movie of the year? It's like, fuck yeah. that. No, th- this is the one that really got to me the most, like, genuinely. So, and, it's and, absolutely my favorite movie of the year, yes.
2: Yeah, and it's totally valid because... Like I said, you know, sometimes when an independent movie really hits, it's this double-edged sword where you're happy for the success of the movie, but then that people are discovering something different and weird and are m- going to see it. You're so happy for that. But then mm-hmm. at the same time there's an always an inevitable bla- backlash against it. And I hate that so much. It's like if a movie's good, a movie's good, a movie doesn't suddenly become bad just
1: because a lot of people like it. You know? Know. That seems to be like what people feel, and it's just dumb. Yeah. You know, it, this movie really is that good.
2: Yeah, it really is. It's
1: kind of like Parasite, you know? I, mean, I was a little hesitant even to watch that because it was like, oh, it's so popular, and it's so good, and everyone loves it. And then you watch it, and it's like, oh, yeah, the, no, this is the that, best movie that is of legit the year. Good, yeah.
2: <laughs> My number one has been on this list at number one since the... You have you figured it out yet? Maybe. Okay, so since the moment I saw it, it was kind of love at first sight. I showed it to my kids, they loved it too, which shocked me. But I have chosen a little Netflix movie that not a lot of people watched apparently uh, Richard Linklater's Apollo Ten and a Half:
1: and a half Space <laughs> Age
2: Childhood.
1: Where's our kid?
0: Mission. For
2: what? We accidentally built the lunar module a little too small.
0: How'd that happen?
2: Listen, are you good at math? Yeah. Do you get a perfect 100 on every test? No. OK. We need a kid like you to test this accidentally smaller version on the lunar surface and soon. Stand. you're our only hope. OK. Great. Let's forget about all this for now. We'll come back to this part later. First, let me tell you about life back then. Living in the Houston area in the late 60s, it was a great time and place to be a kid. But the world was changing, and so was how we saw ourselves in it.
0: Right on. Mom, is that one a hippie? Yeah, yeah, that's a hippie.
1: How about that one? No, his hair's not long enough.
0: But he's wearing bell bottoms. Okay,
2: that's a hippie. I think I like hippies. This that, movie. In my head. <laughs> excellent. Yeah, you didn't really give on that that, that you thought <laughs> this was it.
1: That's what I thought it was.
2: I still haven't watched it. It's almost like a Wonder Years thing in a way where you have a narrator looking back on childhood in the late 60s in this case. And they live in Houston, which is space central. Yeah. And it's narrated by Jack Black, who just does the most incredible job of narration That I've heard in a long time. This is one of the most beautifully narrated movies I've ever seen. But even though this takes place earlier than my childhood, I recognized a lot of my childhood in it. Uh, So there was things like Red Rover being played at school, you know, where some kid's Mm -hmm. arm gets (laughs) broken. You know, the...
1: We did that at school. Exactly. You know, these
2: kinds of weird things, you know. And most of it is not about the space program, but he has this fantasy that he has been chosen to be the first person to land on the moon. And they not specifically say, is it a dream or not? You kind of get your feelings about it. But it's all about the excitement leading up to that first moon landing in a way that is done it's not just nostalgia it's it's so much of it is just about relationships with families and friends and the kind of weird shit that you did in the late 60s through the mid 80s frankly that you just don't do anymore you know you don't ride in the back of open trucks anymore on the freeway uh i did that when i was a kid yeah i mean it's got all of these kinds of things going on but at the core of it it's really a movie about the family and you know this father who works on like everybody's dad does at this time for nasa and you know in this little town that was essentially built to house the nasa engineers (laughs) this entire neighborhood so they talk about astroturf and the astrodome being built and all these wild inventions that have come around because of the space program. and It's a very slice-of-life kind of movie, but it is also done like Waking Life and uh, Scanner Darkly. It's rotoscoped. So it's animated oh. over the top of filmed actors, which Linklater has done, like I said before. And I think... I really enjoyed Waking Life. So. Yeah, yeah. Waking Life is sort of like Slacker. It's sort of the animated Slacker. If you've never seen Scanner Darkly, you should. That's a wild, wild movie uh, that's really good. Keanu Reeves, science fiction, based on a Philip K. Dick story. But it's also rotoscoped. But I think this movie was so surprising. I did not expect... I love space. Space, like real space movies. about you know. I love the right stuff. I love First Man. I love Apollo 13. As, camp. I love Space Camp, yes. Um, but <laughs> movies that deal with the real space program in various ways, mm-hmm. I love them. I, I find them fascinating. And I've always been into that. I mean, I've got a Saturn V Apollo rocket you know, right off over here in front of me, the model that I built. I've got all kinds of things. So I've always been into that. And this just hit the sweet spot mm-hmm. for me. I don't feel like I'm doing a particularly good job of describing it, but it's hard to describe. It's one, it's, again, it's kind of a movie just you got to see. And, you know, like a lot of Linklater stuff, something like uh, Boyhood, it's just sort of the moments in between the big moments, you know? It's not about the big moment. It's about the mundanity in between that is somehow extraordinarily special in its own way. Same with the Before Trilogy. It's conversations that you have. It's interactions that you have that are interesting. Yeah, I, I can't describe how much I love this movie. And it has, since April 4th, been my number one for the year. Uh, this was originally when we were going to combine 2022 movies into our discoveries list. This was number one there too. So this is just a movie that uh, hit me and has not left me. My kids loved it. My wife loved it. It's a great whole family kind of movie. So.
1: I almost caught up with this one and watched it because when I figured it out, I was like, "That's probably Brian's favorite." Because I, yes, you have been talking about it like all year, but no, I haven't. I haven't watched it yet. You've got a lot more on your list than on mine that uh, I haven't seen yet. That you know the other person hasn't seen yet. So I've sure. got. I know I have more, so much more. I watched so many movies from 2022, I thought, but of course there's definitely some blind spots that I'm excited to catch up on now, like hearing more about some of these that I've been wanting to see. Definitely more ready to to see them sooner. Yeah. So let's run down our list one sure. more time, real quick. everybody. Ahead. My number 10 was Vengeance. Number nine, See How They Run. Number eight, Halloween Ends. Number seven, The Northman. Number six, Prey. Number five, The Invitation. Four, X. Number three is Barbarian. Number two is 3,000 Years of Longing. And number one was Everything, Everywhere, All at
2: Once. Okay, and my number 10 was The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Uh, My number nine, Turning Red. Number eight, Barbarian. Number seven, The Menu. Number six, Marcel, The Shell With Shoes On. Number five, Glass Onion, A Knives Out Story. Uh, Number four, Senior. Number three, Bones and All. Number two, Everything Everywhere All at Once. And number one, Apollo 10 a A Space Age Childhood.
1: Any surprises from either of us?
2: I I knew (laughs) I knew the ones that were gonna be on both lists were gonna be Barbarian and everything everywhere all at once. We both sort of talked about those glowingly right away. So so I knew that those were both gonna be on there.
1: So I have a lot of discards here too that I do. I've got a handful. Yeah. Yeah, Um, uh, when I went back and like wrote down all the movies that I saw from 2022, a lot of them were streaming ones that Mm -hmm. I don't know that got a lot of attention. They should. I mean, there's some big ones, too. Dream 5, uh, I enjoyed uh, enough. That one might take a little bit more to grow on me. Um, I did enjoy the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre.
2: Yeah, I did, too. (laughs) I thought it was fun. Uh,
1: I thought that was so much fun. Yeah. Um, One of the Netflix ones that I actually really enjoy that I I think people need to see more is called Windfall. Okay. It has a really cool story of a guy that basically what you need to know is a guy breaks into this guy's house and then the the couple comes home and it kind of goes from there. Some like kind of bigger like kind of action comedy fun movies that I absolutely had a blast with were Uncharted and The Lost City. Um, oh yeah, yeah, those yeah. Those are those are such joys. I, I really enjoyed those. I haven't um, seen either one. Yeah. Oh, they're so much fun. They're just like if you want, like just like good, you know, fun. I know but my action. wife would have a lot of fun with the Lost Comedies. City for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely. I mean, that's yeah. got my love. It's I know. look. So mm-hmm. of course, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was all over that one. Um, you mentioned this one before, Resurrection mm-hmm. um, with mm-hmm. Rebecca Hall. Such a cool, interesting movie. It's on yeah, Shutter it really now, is. so more people can see it. So definitely check that one out. Um, that Day shift, about a gut the, uh, punch too. Oh, I know, right? Yeah. Uh, Day shift, the uh, vampire, uh, another vampire comedy, like a uh, fun movie. I've heard Netflix. of that one. I had, I had a blast with that one. Very gory, funny, but really cool, like action sequences. Um, definitely check that one out. Um, crimes of the Future. I'm surprised that wasn't. Yeah, uh, I, I like. I. I like I liked that it. movie. Yeah.
2: It's I don't it's another, understand it. <laughs> right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's one of those where it's like, I, I it was cool. I liked it. I don't get it, but it was cool. Well, I it's been it. interesting <laughs> have to been, watch it a little bit more.
2: I've been surprised yeah. because I I didn't hear a lot of chatter about that movie and it's made a couple of critics number 1 lists, like number 1 on su- oh, really? on a couple of lists, which I f- thought was fascinating because I thought it was kind of a either middling to low critical response but hey i'm glad to mm-hmm. hear it i mean cronenberg is kind of back in full form there in yeah. a way that we haven't really seen him in a while so and i haven't seen a few Very movies cool movie. in the, in between there though got a bit i think the last one um, i saw of his was history of violence so
1: a uh, watcher Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: I haven't seen it, but yeah.
1: I really enjoyed that one. Uh, I did see Don't Worry Darling. I don't give a fuck about whatever um, drama Behind was going scenes on. Behind the drama, yeah. Um, I watched the movie as a movie and I actually really enjoyed it. I thought it was really cool. It's kind of a, it's another thing that I, I secretly love is the whole um, facade of the 50s <laughs> type of movie. For, sure. For some reason. So that was a cool um, one. Uh, Hellraiser was okay. Um, Deadstream was actually Deadstream a pretty inch I thought that was really fun. Yeah. It was really fun. Um, one yeah, of those, that like, was those um, footage movies with a super annoying, like main character, yeah. that's kind of the point.
2: Yep. That one was on my list, uh, for oh, really? the horror yeah. list. Yeah. I, I, I like that yeah. movie a lot. Yeah. The
1: one that I really, really wanted to include, but, um, I had to swap it out because I enjoyed Halloween ends more was bodies, bodies, bodies.
2: Yeah, okay. I haven't seen it yet.
1: Yeah, it's another one. It's like um all these like young like twenty somethings that uh, hole up in this big house during a hurricane to shelter together. They play a game called Bodies, 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 which um ends up with one person actually being dead. And you know it's the whole like your friends are not really your friends, and you like you don't really trust people. Like your truths come out about everybody. It's one of those kind of movies, and the ending I think sells it the most. So, very much recommend that one. Uh, Fall was really cool. Did you watch that one? No, that was a different one. It's about the two uh, girls that are trapped at the top of this like weird like tower thing. They're like uh, cell tower, yeah. Uh, My best friend's exorcism.
2: I think I watched that. (laughs) You think
1: you did? This one was almost number ten. Sorry, because I did really. I read. I did really enjoy it. Yeah. And I yeah. heard people didn't. who read the book didn't like the adaptation, but I don't know. I kind of, I dug it. It was a lot of fun. No, um, I didn't again, watch it. Yeah, I, I
2: haven't watched it yet.
1: Again, the menu, uh, it was hard to leave that one off. I, I did. I loved it. Just everything you said oh, no. about it. Yeah, yeah, I felt the same way. It yeah. was really, it was awesome. I love that. Um, I just watched Kimmy. Too. Um, oh yeah, good. That's good, another. Good. That's a good movie. That's another thing where I, I I like the the setup of it when and it was good. It was not like a favorite or anything though. But actually, I
2: really actually filmed in Seattle, unlike other movies that <laughs> will not be named
1: here. And then the other one that I mentioned um, to you, the um, Satire, Triangle of Sadness. Uh huh. Um, it didn't quite land with me, but oh my god, it is absolutely bizarre. So, the only recognizable person in the movie is Woody Harrelson, who's only in, like, one part of the story, but it's it's very much a satire about, like, rich people versus poor people, like, you know, class divides and um, sure. class reversals going on. It, it's all these, like, rich people on a yacht. It's actually, it's broken up into, like, three different storylines, basically, but the basic story is, like, all these rich people on a yacht, and there's... a absolutely hilarious part where there is like terrible um like storm the boat is rocking and everybody is getting like totally seasick like during the captain's dinner and it's like if you want to watch a bunch of rich people projectile vomiting and shitting themselves like this is the movie for you (laughs) it is it is nuts um but then some of them uh end up like a uh, marooned on an island together because i guess they don't really show what happens but you know you guess like the yacht crashes or you know turns over or something but it is very much a satire about like you know class and everything like that but it's a, the ending i felt was a little bit i kind of saw it coming so it didn't quite land with me so but it's still a really like crazy well i apparently <laughs> saw the ending
2: of orphan coming and i still liked that <laughs>
1: Well, I'm not saying. I just didn't I'm just. Quite. I'm teasing.
2: <laughs> I'm just teasing. Sorry. So yeah,
1: those are some of my discards. Oh, Spiderhead was another one too. That's another like Netflix one that's mm-hmm. I thought was really cool. It's another like kind of comedy, but okay, kind of fun one. Uh, it's, it's prison, but they take volunteer prisoners to this like facility where it, it's very open it's more like just like living in a community like they get special privileges because they agree to you know um be experimented on with these drugs and that's wow <laughs> okay. uh, but i found it i found it very really, very interesting definitely um different than i was expecting so okay i would recommend that one smile also was okay
2: i didn't, I didn't like didn't quite smile it, though i didn't like smile i didn't love it i just have a couple uh, to mention uh, Pearl and X, both of them. We talked about those thoroughly enough. Uh, Mad God, the Phil Tippett movie. Talk about not knowing what the hell's going on, but it's really a unique film. There's nothing like it. So I want to call people's attention to that one. It's on Shutter. It's just got to be experienced to be believed. Okay. The Fablemans is Steven Spielberg's movie. I like a lot about this movie, but it didn't connect with me the way I hoped it would. This was supposed to be like the movie Steven Spielberg was literally born to make, and it was because it's sort of you know his biography, but I don't know. It's a very, very good movie, but I just didn't quite feel it like I hoped I would. These last two, however, were vying for the number 10 spot, Or even higher, to be honest. Uh, I sort of wanted to talk about Turning Red and some others, so I put it on the list. But Something in the Dirt, uh, Moorhead and Benson's latest movie. Now, if you're not familiar with Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson, uh, you will be. (laughs) They've actually been doing a lot of TV. I think they did Moon Knight. They did um, our episodes of Moon Knight. There was a series on Netflix. The name of it is Escaping Me. It got canceled But their episodes of that show was really damn good. It was something everyone was talking about for a while, about this guy who was transferring uh, like film and videotapes onto digital and living in this house and stuff. I can't remember the name of the dang thing. But they did some really cool episodes of that. But Something in the Dirt is a movie that they made, the two of them, with a cameraman. And they made this entire movie, the three of them during COVID lockdowns. And they had the foresight to say, to talk talk about the lockdowns, but not have the movie be about the lockdowns, which I thought was really smart. This is a movie about conspiracy theories. It is a movie that uh, I would like to pair with 2001 A Space Odyssey because it kind of has got this mind-blowing something going on and you don't know exactly what the hell it is. Um, It could be any of the things they suggest. It could be none of the things they suggest that this phenomenon is. What's great about them is every movie they make is this small scale, no budget movie Mm -hmm. that feels gigantic, you know, all the way back to resolution you know, resolution, the endless yeah. spring, uh, synchronic, and and this are all these tiny, tiny little movies that are filled with yep. you know these massive ideas. Uh, I don't know why it, it, something about this one is I, I haven't been able to grasp onto yet, uh, like I have with some of the earlier films. But I think I'm I'm definitely going to revisit it. I think it's going to grow more with me. So I want to mention that one. And then the one that I was... I, this one was jockeying for number 10 the whole time. I mean, right up to the moment we recorded. And I mentioned it already. The most fun I have had at the theater all year was Violent Night. Yeah. And <laughs> David Harbour plays the actual Santa Claus. And he has lost his Christmas spirit to some extent there's a great scene of him flying on his sleigh, taking a piss off the edge of the sleigh. Um, I mean, this is this is what sort of the what's going on with this thing. I mean, it's Die Hard, except John <laughs> McClane is Santa Claus, and it's Home Alone, except that the booby traps actually do what the booby traps would do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, it is. It's it's Rambo, like it's a paint Die Hard, <laughs> it's The Northman, it's all the it's Home Alone, it's John Leguizamo um, uh, okay. being fantastic in the in the role of the sort of lead terrorist.
1: It's still it's still playing at the theater. I really oh catch
2: this man, I want to see it. I want to see it again. My son wants to see it again. Uh, it's uh, got a it's got a few sags here and there with pacing. But David Harbor is so damn funny. He already is. Santa Claus.
1: I I know he's going to rule
2: in this. I mean, it's just Santa Claus who is just like, he's over it. (laughs) (laughs) And that's one of the great things about it. You know, um, it has some of the goriest kills that I've seen in anything all year. But when I saw this with a crowd, the crowd got it. And they were laughing from beginning to end. My mom would hate this movie. My mom hates laughing at violence. But you can't help it in this movie because it's so over the top. It's so nuts. And like I said, great double feature with the Northmen. Um, (laughs) That's all I'm going to say about that. Okay. Um, So Violent Night, just too much damn fun to not mention. So that's, that's all I have right now.
1: All right. There's actually...
2: Lots of good stuff mm-hmm. this year. There That was, was hard to
1: make that list, but I'm, I'm pretty happy with how it came out. And there's still a ton of other movies that I get to experience for the first time, which I'm stoked about.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And the ones that you mentioned from your list, most of them were like on my to watch list. So I'm looking forward to checking those out. Yeah. Yeah. And so here's what we got coming up for our show. Next time, um, we're going to be presenting our Friends Forever favorites with uh, Pat Brennan on Ikiru, Ikiro Kurosawa's Ikiru. Then, after that, we're going to do sort of the continuation of this kind of discussion by talking about our top 10 discoveries of the year. Uh, So these are movies that did not come out in 2022, but any other year is fair game. I've got stuff from all over the map. I feel like that are ready to go. I'm probably, who knows? I might discover (laughs) a few more things before we get there. I
1: started making my list. Oh man.
2: This is a tough one. I got
1: a pretty good, I got a pretty good five, but then after that, it's like, Oh, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I saw a lot of good stuff this year.
2: I I have a feeling I'm probably going to, I mean, I'm looking at my top 10. It's like, oh, geez. But then I'm looking at 11 and 12 and 13. <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, that would be. So, oh, I got it. I got it. Oh, no, no. I can't leave that off. It's like, you know, there's
1: ones that I've already kind of talked about or ones that are actually yeah. going to come up yeah. in future episodes. I'm not really sure to include. So I'm like,
2: eh. yeah. And I, I have a minor cheat, but it's just going to be a mention. I'm not going to go okay. into it. It's a minor cheat. Because it's the same filmmaker right next to each other. But <laughs>
1: okay.
2: um, but I'm that's going to, to mention one and highlight the other. So, okay. um, yeah, it's going to be a hard list to talk about because some of them are like, this is definitely the best movie I saw this year, but it's not my favorite <laughs> because that's tough. Um, but <laughs> we'll get there. That'll be a fun episode. Those are always a lot of fun to talk about. Uh, And we always like doing those. Uh, We've done a couple so far. And they tend to be among our more popular episodes. So, Pandemic Discoveries and People uh, Like Lists. People Like Lists. People Like Lists. Our Pandemic Discoveries and our 2021 Discoveries are some of our most downloaded episodes ever. So apparently, people like our taste.
1: Hopefully, this one will make the list as well. Yeah, we
2: we will see. Very popular one. Yeah. Still, our most popular one is a shock. Uh, I know. (laughs) But it's also, I'm glad because it's actually my favorite episode. It's
1: a shock, but not, yeah. Yeah,
2: it's my favorite episode we've ever done. And that's our Midnight Mass episode. So I I think that that was a really. Now, the surprise.
1: Because it's so long.
2: (laughs) Because it's so long. I think. I think what is surprising is our number two is our courtrooms one. <laughs> that one I know. really is a shock. Um, and then um, I love that episode though. Then our ballet episode is way up there too.
1: Love uh, that one too. Though. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Really good. I mean, those ones. are like
1: two of my favorite movies ever. So. I know. I'm I know. Ha- I'm happy that those are on the list. Well, I
2: have a feeling that The Red <laughs> that Shoes like... was probably one of your favorite discoveries of this year. Uh, but I, I doubt you're going to put it on the list because we already talked I about know. it. I know. That's the. Yeah. That's, uh. <laughs> yeah that's There's a hard a lot of part with yeah like that. that's gonna be yeah well,
1: that's gonna be difficult
2: okay anyway, we should probably wrap up we we've need been, to wrap up we've been at it for over three hours now, so we're going to uh, real quick give our socials uh you can find me everywhere at brian waves 42 uh so yeah Twitter Instagram letterbox and hive if it exists I don't know I haven't been on there hardly <laughs> at all. I know they've had some trouble over there.
1: And uh, you can pretty much only find me on uh, Instagram <laughs> now, uh, just Michelle Egan over there. And the show is a Movie Life Pod.
2: Yes, on the show's is Movie Life Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, I'm still not good at Instagram. You're getting, and, you're doing good. You and, made a
1: story. I hadn't done that before. Oh wow! There you go. <laughs> uh,
2: and then uh, <laughs> we we're still, like we're so still going to be, <laughs> yeah, we're still going to be advertising on Twitter mostly new shows. Twitter has changed a lot. There's a lot less engagement there uh, than there was so before the takeover, so things are just kind of different. So hopefully uh, you're downloading and subscribing because that is going to probably be the way things go. Uh, tell your friends, you know. Yes. If- Post us post if you like the show post about it on your own socials as well. We'd really appreciate that. It really helps us to get the word out. And yeah, so we're looking forward to a new year with lots of great stuff yeah. ahead and some exciting things coming up. Um, we hope uh, we've got we've talked to some guests that uh, we are stoked to to have on yes. more than one, several in fact. So looking forward to a new year and i hope everyone had
1: 20 yeah twenty twenty three is gonna be a good year for us i think it's gonna be fun yeah on the show here yeah so i hope stick it, with
2: us please <laughs> yeah and i hope everyone has a happy new year and a safe new year yeah and had a merry christmas a happy hanukkah uh, any kind of other celebration that you were involved in if any
1: of course or if you just stayed at home and watched movies hope you had a great day <laughs> yeah
2: and hopefully maybe some of those on our list make yours too okay uh, feel free to add us on any of our socials let us know what your favorites of the year are we'd be love to talk with you and engage with that and we will do what we'll
1: see you all next time
2: bye, bye.